the Finance Committee meeting, January 9th. And uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome back. For those of us who haven't been here in a while. And uh, the first item is, well, actually, roll call. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Trustee Alvalada. Here. Trustee Banerjee is not here today. Trustee Sheeklin. Here. Trustee DeVries is not here yet. And Trustee Peterson. Here. Great. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, first action is the minutes. Do I have a motion? I make a motion to approve the minutes from our last meeting. Second. All those in favor? Aye. The motion passes. So let's uh, move on to our CFO's report. Okay. Let's see if we can get it up here. There we go. So my agenda for this evening is the, Mon uh, the November financial highlights. I'll also go over the year to date. The October is in the packet. Um, I'm going to give an update on the cash and the vendor legacy, um, how they're doing on collecting our AR. Uh, and I'm also going to present the FY20 forecast. So I'll just go on and move ahead. So the first slide here is our volume slide. Uh, our acute discharges are below budget for the month of November and just slightly behind year to date. want to point out that we are 5.1% better than prior year. So we had budgeted to have an increase in our discharges. Uh, I'm going to skip to the third line there and talk about our length of stay. Um, the length of stay is lower than budget for the month and year to date, but what's really impressive is we've improved 9.8% over prior years. So if our length of stay is down, that means we have room for more patients, right. and that's, right. that's what we want to see. Yeah. Um, our surgery volume approximates budget both for the month and year to date, and I point that out because surgery oftentimes is a, a more profitable um, business. In the post-acute area, you know, we are running at pretty much capacity. Um, the discharges are better for the month and also year-to-date, and they've improved 16.7% over prior year. And, of course, if we can uh, move patients through that post-acute area, that helps us tremendously in the inpatient side. Our uh, clinic visits, deliveries, and ER visits are below budget. Any questions, or I'll just keep moving through? I think we're... Probably going to get more detail in the CO's report about okay. that. Okay. Yes, you will. Just to foreshadow a little bit. <laughs> and the next slide here is just a summary of the major financial line items. Um, our net operating revenue is unfavorable 6.4. Uh, the percentage there is incorrect. It should be 7.9%. Mm. And the reason why our net operating revenue is unfavorable is driven by our net patient revenue, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And I also want to point out that year-to-date we're $12 million behind. Mm. Our expenses are 2.9% million favorable, and that favorable variance is driven by labor. Uh, Year-to-date, we're 5.3 million favorable. Operating income is a loss of 8.4. That's also unfavorable 3.6. Year-to-date, unfavorable 6.7. Our EBITDA margin is a negative 10% compared to a budget of a negative 4.7. Year-to-date, 6.8% negative. Non-operating revenue 
um, is unfavorable 2.1, which results in net income being unfavorable 5.7. And I just want to remind everybody that in non-operating is the uh, pension actuarial accrual which was based on a measurement date of 12-31-18 when the market was down. And so now, although these are non-cash, a non-cash expense, we still have to record it, and it's much more negative than we thought in the budget. And again, that'll get updated at 12-31-19. Uh, so we'll, uh, it looks like we'll have a, a, a completely different picture considering how the market has been. So moving on to give more detail here. Um, gross patient revenue is unfavorable for the month, 2.2 million. This is my uh, second little uh, miss here in the presentation. Uh, and it's 0.8% off. And this is primarily driven to lower volumes. Oops, did I go one too many? Thank you. Yes, Thank good. you. Yes. Sorry about that. Glad someone's paying attention, I'm, right? I was going to say something, but I. Um, and our collection percent was 16.1, which is worse than we anticipated at 18.3. Mm -hmm. And there's a few things we need to talk about. Um, First, I want to remind everybody of the $12 million audit entry that we um, experienced for FY19, and it had to do with changing from an income statement to a balance sheet approach. And back in September, um, we talked about the fact that on our current year financials, we would have to do that same true up, um, and I have done so. And it is a $7 million hit year-to-date through October. So now we are on a truly a balance sheet approach for our contractuals. So we look at the age of our accounts. We look at how we've been paid on closed accounts. And we estimate what we think the value of the AR is. And uh, I believe we also talked about the fact that this doesn't give us any idea of how well we're doing on the revenue cycle, but what it does tell us is if we are accurately recording our net revenue. So I, we had to make this adjustment, and it, it reflects how we are currently doing <coughs> our revenue cycle. And the adjustments post-budget approval. Yes, yes, that's why we did it so late, is we were waiting for the final audit and to make sure that we had a valid approach that everybody could sign off on. Right. And then in uh, November, we took another $4 million hit, and this is because when we turned over all of our accounts to the vendors to collect the legacy AR, they, um, they are a little more aggressive in going after the collection of these accounts. We typically take a lot longer before we actually turn somebody over to bad debt. So there was uh, $25 million of charges that the vendors determined were bad debt and went ahead and wrote it off, and we had not fully reserved for that yet. So that ended up being a $4 million hit to net revenue, which we took in the month of November. Supplemental revenues um, are approximating budget. And as you know, we pretty much accrue to budget unless we get better information. So at this point, 
um, everything's pretty much going as we had predicted. There is a shortfall on the grants, and um, that is a timing difference. Uh, we have to do time studies in order to record additional income for MAA grants, and so that is in play. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, get those time studies done in the next month or two and get back to budget. So I'll give you a report on that in the next few months. So would Measure A collection transfer already have happened by this time? We're recording Measure A money there each month, and, and so, so we're just accruing, and there's not a huge So this shows an accrual. Sorry. You're not seeing anything that concerns no. you there? Um, okay. I think we are. I think we're recording uh, to budget as well, but that, um, we, if I recall correctly, uh, the actual performance is running slightly ahead. Okay. But we, we generally wait because we want to see what's going to happen around the holidays yep. and, and up through February because then there's a correction that occurs. So we, so we, we still need some more time to really Yeah, get so the number, if I recall correctly, the number we're recording is, as she said, um, based off of what we projected, but you will recall for the budgeting process, our projection was more conservative than the county's. Right. So there's an opportunity to outperform if theirs is more reflective of what truly does happen and we'll have to see. Unless you see something different. No, and I think also there's a there's timing associated with that. So over the Christmas holidays, probably a lot more people are shopping, and so <laughs> will uh, influence the amount of money. And then right. it takes a little while to report and flow through. Yeah. So good. Okay. Um, so go to the next slide. Talk about expenses here. So our labor costs um, are favorable, 2.1 million or 38 FTEs. Um, and benefits are favorable, 1.7 million. And in the month of November, we have more holidays, so a lot of staff take PTO, and our budgeting is not so precise to actually take a guesstimate as to how many people will be paid off the balance sheet versus the income statement. Mm -hmm. So the combination of these things really um, made us quite favorable. But I want to talk a little bit more about the FTEs. If you go down there, you can see full-time equivalents at uh, 4,326, and you can see the 38 favorable. But if you go across to year-to-date, we were actually running 139 FTE favorable. So basically that huge, large number of favorable FTEs has come down substantially in November. And the reason for that is we have, are starting to roll folks off the Sapphire project. So when you capitalize an FTE, you're not going to count it in right. your operating. So as, um, as these folks roll off, they'll either leave the organization or they'll come back on our books as FTEs. So we're still favorable, but not nearly as favorable as we were. And also, please note that the budget was evenly spread. So we're going to be talking about this a lot all year long. So both for depreciation, which is, you can see, favorable there because we haven't started depreciating the Sapphire or the acute rehab. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to turn unfavorable for right. the next six months. Uh, so we're going to have the same anomaly going with the uh, FTEs and labor costs and depreciation. So with both of these lines, uh, you're... you're uh you're, you're just noting how the forecasting is going to roll out during the year. We're not off 
you're not concerned about. Yeah, no, I don't. Overall, I, it looks like we might be a little over on labor, but it's it's soon to but tell. It's in a range, that's reasonable. And we're going to talk about when I tell you the projection that we have brought on more support for Sapphire and basically so, elbow support to sit side by side with our staff and make right. sure that we've got all the training done and we've optimized the install as best that we can. Um, it's we'll get to it, and when I get mm -hmm. to the forecast, so that's why I, I hedged a little bit when I said that. You know, no, I appreciate the description. <laughs> I just want to clarify though that you're not seeing a trending there that is out of line with the forecasting we did uh, to create the budget no not at not at this time I, and that'll be clear it's just when a you, timing difference yeah. it should work itself out by june Got it. Uh, with the exception of what we're going to talk about in a few minutes <laughs> thanks okay um purchase services there there's a negative variance it's it's not that much but i just want to point out that uh, one of the other uh, things, uh, the way that we record things, is if you are a consultant under purchase services, you're not considered an FTE, mm -hmm. which is different if you are a registry, you are part of the FTE calculation. So mm -hmm. so those uh, this, the additional staff is making us uh, negative in purchase services, and it's not in the FTE count. Just to add a little, another layer there. And um, one last comment on the um, <coughs> benefits. Um, we are pretty su substantially favorable in the month, 1.7 million. Uh, we've been unfavorable up until this month, so year to date we're more in line. And as you know, we're self-insured, so we're paying claims and then we're estimating what we think our IBNR, our liability will be mm -hmm. at the time based on our, our run rate of claims. And you're going to see some fluctuations, you know, and, and right now for the year we're looking pretty good. But for, for on a one-month basis, at least in my tenure here, we've had some movement. Moves a lot. Yeah. All right. Next slide. All right. So now we're looking at the balance sheet. And I mentioned that I was going to change some of the stats here. I, I still want to add one more, which uh, has to do with the timing of when we expect um, payments to occur. Uh, I have not done it yet because it, it does take some work to, to get that. Um, we have to figure out how we want to do it, whether we want to actually put it in the general ledger, if we just want to report it to you. Uh, because if you can imagine, we've got lots of different supplemental um, accounts, and, and if you're going to try to reclass some to liabilities and some to assets, it can be a lot of journal entries that can cause a lot of work and can potentially cause errors. Right. And I don't want to do anything that is going, going to make it any more difficult to report all the supplemental <coughs> um, uh, sources of uh, and, and payments due on those programs. Um, but what I did do, and I don't know if all of you have had a chance to read the report, but I did add. You should have. You all got it all memorized? <laughs> Everywhere. Let's do a test now. <laughs> Here's the test. Yeah, right. Here so I don't know if you saw this new table that I put in there. It's, it's awful hard to put it into a slide. If, if mm -hmm. you really think it's that valuable, I will. But I wanted to yeah, do you have point a page on that, Kim? It's page seven. Page seven. Thank you. 
And so... Oh, page 7 of the actual report. Of the actual report, oh. yes. It's, um, okay, so... the report in the packet? Hold on. It's called the Supplemental Program Receivable and Payables. Yeah. Hold on. Got it. Got it? What page are you on? Page 7 of the report. So yes, above, if you go... Above the PowerPoint. Yeah, I should go Yeah, it's so... There's, it's too much oh. to fit on a slide. and yeah, But I want to um, make sure that the committee is aware that we created this report because I think it will be of value. Yeah, it's 23 of 90 if you're looking at it. Thank you. No. Yeah. Sorry. You see it there? Everybody got it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in the middle, there's a net balance that equals what is on our balance sheet. That's the 1764 So what this is telling you is that in the previous years to the left are when these receivables or payables came to our attention and we put on the books. So, for instance, the first line item in the Medicare cost reports, from fiscal year 02 to 10, we have a receivable of 3 million four for those years. Mm -hmm. For 10 through 19, we have a receivable of 1,654, and for FY20, just a small amount of 156. So then, I've added those up to get what the net AR is for those all those Medicare cost report years. There, it's 5 million three. And then what I've done is I've estimated for you today what, how we think these are going to play out. Mm -hmm. We think we're going to get 1.5 million in FY20 of, uh, on this. We're going to have to pay 288 in FY21, and then beyond 21, we'll get the the other 4 million. Okay. So then, if you follow the logic and you go down to the total there. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm telling you is of the 1764 liability that we have net on our balance sheet, we're going to get $32.8 million of it in FY20. We're going to have to pay out $58 million four in 21, and that we'll have a receivable of $23.7 in after FY21. And the reason for doing this is so that we can always be planning ahead for payments. And I don't know if you if if this is anything a previous CFO has done, but based on my this is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Right. This takes that prior report you used to get and puts some timing to it right. so that you can get a sense of when the ins and outs. It's actually, Nancy did a little bit of trying to put some timing around the prior report, uh, but this takes it a step further and at least tries to bucket it, uh, it uh, in also, you know, uh, categories for the prior years and in terms of when they occurred and then the out years for, uh, as best we can tell with uh, current information, when they might occur. But you can see the rest of it, like that last column is, Basically, we don't know, but we know it won't be in FY20. It's not likely to be in FY21. So as we get closer to that, then they'll shift more to the left and become a little bit more reliably predictable. So uh, just a question. On, on the Medicare cost report settlements for 02 through 10, which is a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it says, I assume that goes with the comment, uh, older years pending disputed SSI ratio? Yes, we're waiting for the SSI ratio 
to be agreed upon, and then all of those years can be calculated out and settled. So it still ha it still hasn't been it agreed. It still has not it's been. Almost 20 years later? Yeah. Or 10 years later? 10 years later. We, we, yeah. we live in multiple years yeah. every That's year. And I tried to put relevant comments so you could understand. Like one of the changes here that happened in the month of October was the physician spa. Mm -hmm. uh, we were we just found out in October that because they're so they're having such difficulty reconciling the utilization data, the files with the state, that they don't think this will pay out until uh, past fiscal year 21. Originally, we had thought that they were going to try to do this in the next, you know. 12 to 18 so months. So that's a big hit that's delayed. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, so I think this is really helpful, and I suspect it's going to change every month. It will It will change as we know we have good right? information. Yeah. And so I'm it, it doesn't control the external reality that the state's taking its time and there's a, there's a lot of black box about this? Correct. It just updates us on where the black box is. Yes, yes. with the most current information. Most current just said, yeah. and, and I also think it provides some continuity because we we budget. We're going to do a strategic plan, and I think that if we can if we can shine a flashlight on it, and and you know now we know what this is what we know today, mm -hmm. and so if we do our strategic plan and we have to we're going to go out three or five years, well this is our best guess. For right now, now granted, there's going to be you know some potentially some new programs, a new waiver that we'll have to make some estimates about. But at least this way, it kind of keeps us all kind of in the know, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is could be helpful with external stakeholders as well, mm -hmm. understanding the challenge of you know when you look when we start seeing this month after month. I think what we're going to see is there are pieces that move. Yeah, uh, but at least we'll have some way to project. That makes some sense, and it certainly helps me. It's a great, great. Yeah, that's really important. Great and, as, and as new sort of lines of uh, revenue uh, come on board or are called forward, it's easy kind of like to add them to it and, 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 and at least trend how that's going. Uh, one other, and forgive me if you're going to do this, but one other thing that's uh, kind of a. Uh, it'll be called out when you talk about your forecast later, yeah. but just to kind of give you a heads up on it too, or you'll see she talked about the physician spa piece uh, being uh, pushed out based off of our sense of where the state is now. The other thing you'll see that's shifted uh, a bit, um, uh, but you didn't see it in this way before, is uh, the old, if you look at the old waiver, remember mm -hmm. we talked about before uh, a big portion of that liability that's showing us 10 through 19, right. but we said like, you know, a lot of it was 10 through 15. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that we expected. All of these things are going to be, or at least under current um, uh, regulations for the current waiver, the state and the federal government have an expectation that it will all be done by December of uh, 2020, this mm -hmm. upcoming December. When we did our budget and we uh, had this big placeholder for prior liabilities, we mm -hmm. said we expect some of that to happen this fiscal year and the rest of it to happen the next fiscal year. We had anticipated at least hearing something by the end of October or November around the first couple of years of those and expecting to pay those over the course of um, the second half of this year. Well, now we're in January. And my latest is that we haven't heard anything from the state about any of those years being reconciled yet. And when they do reconcile them, there's like a couple of months that they tell you, you got to pay this back or you can expect to receive this money, in our case, pay it back. And so now we are forecasting that we've shifted all of that into FY21. So, um, so that liability that we're anticipating this year didn't go away. 
it's now being further shifted and you'll see so when you see the forecast going through the end of the year you don't you won't see a recognition of this big hit coming anymore because it's now been pushed out to another year mm -hmm. It's still coming. It won't be within that window that you'll be looking at from the forecast. Yeah, and I, I just want to really sort of underline this for uh, everyone in the room. This is what makes life so difficult for the system in terms of projecting reasonably and responsibly where we're going to be financially within, right. within a budget process. And last year, we did our best to anticipate what was likely, and now you're reporting that a very, it was at 73 million. Is, uh, yeah, uh, and that's only now part not of it. hit us negatively this fiscal year. Right. Of course, we'll deal with it next year. Well, yeah, we but, will have to deal with it. And there's, we don't know that either. Yeah. I mean, what we still we're don't saying know is, this is it's, it's right. halfway bad, through bad, January, bad, and they haven't bad, said yeah. anything yeah. to yeah. us. Yeah. Right. So there's still a small chance that it may yeah. hit this year. Yeah, they could come back in, you know, in three weeks and say, voila, we figured out that these years are done, or these, yeah, these years will be done by May or something mm -hmm. like that, but just right now it just unlikely. doesn't feel likely. Yeah, so we're we're anticipating this based off our best available information. But we didn't budget this in our operating budget. We budgeted this in our net negative balance. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And we didn't have a way to pay for it. So we, yeah. Because we've already recognized the revenues involved in these, right? Uh, yeah, yes, I mean, the fact that we have to pay it back means that we yeah. were potentially overpaid. We yeah. still have to figure out. But I mean, out in that prior be. years, we recognized Yeah, that. if it's correct. in this sheet, we've yeah. recorded it. Yeah. It's yeah. a very important point. Yeah, so this has more to do with the cash flow and the net negative balance. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Important distinction. So we had those well, two this pain points last year. There was the budget itself. And then there's the net the, the cash flow likelihood for the year. So it, it does. I, it, yeah, I want to. I didn't. I misspoke. Okay. So okay. everything uh, here is recorded in our books. That's that's why we're tying out there on the yeah. net, net balance. Yeah. So there are. We're going to talk about contingencies, which is another bucket in a in a few okay. minutes. Okay. But the cash flow here, based on what's on our books, is my best estimate. So this would impact the net negative balance or our line of credit right. in these years is my best guess as right now. Got it. And I don't have a perfect crystal ball as we just no. talked about, on, particularly no. on that 70-something million there. And would it be correct to say that in, to the extent that any of these numbers uh, shift in either direction, there is a potential that there could be a positive and or an adverse impact to our income statement if there's something like, for example... Yes. If we are if, not right on here... Right. Yeah. And we will yeah. have to make the adjustment mm -hmm. to to get it right. And that would then impact the current year income statement. And those so are variables example, we don't have control of. Correct. So, right. so like, for example, uh, this so, month, and forgive me because you kind of go ahead, we got, well, she'll tell you later, there was a favorable uh, result uh, that we got notice of last month uh, that was related to an FY08 thing. And mm -hmm. that, because it's favorable and better than what we had booked, uh, as reflected here, will help us or look more favorable this year because then we have to recognize it as income this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but she'll tell you more about that. That's my, my good news. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, in regard to the statistics that are uh, in front of here, so this is the balance sheet view, um, everything is looking pretty negative. So our current month, our days, both gross and net are up. Our uh, days in accounts payable are up, as are the percent of AP over 60. 
I would like to say that the fact that the percent of net AR over 270 going down was good, except for that's the 25 million we just talked about. So mm -hmm. it was a write-off. Um, I want to point out on the AP, we've had to hold um, bills because we haven't had enough room under the line of credit. So that is why you're seeing that increase there. Got it, got it. So. Uh, quite a substantial increase, too. Yeah. So let's talk about what's happening with the cash collections, because this is a, a big part of it. Um, this is the, I think I shared this report with you all last time. I think the difference here is I broke out prior year to current year because I wanted you all to see that we actually were collecting uh, a little over 100% of our revenue, which is, you know, we want to get 100%. Right now we're running at 87.7 for this fiscal year. Um, Definitely, we saw um, some improvement in September, uh, so that at that point we had gotten all of our AR out, the legacy AR out to the vendors and they were working and we were seeing cash come in. And September, um, uh, we went live at the end of the month there, so there's no epic in, in that number. In the next two months, the next month, October, we were still relying on those late, the old AR. And then by November, you can really see the fact that Epic has slowed our payments. Yeah. Which we expected. Yeah. Yes, we yeah. did expect. And I'm going to show you that in the next slide here. Can you just say something about how that works? How does Epic end up slowing? Okay, production? sure. So, um, what happens is uh, uh, you, we have a whole new way of billing, right? So now we, the people who are putting the charges in or the people doing the work, they didn't used to charge. So right away they got to learn how to do it, right? And they have to learn this new system, how to capture charges. Then once they get the charge in, we have lots of edits in our system, like some things have to go to the coders, some things have to, go, have to get an attachment to it in order for us to bill it. And when we built Epic, we did our best to try to figure out how all of this was going to work. We had lots of meetings with lots of people, you know, we, we, we did our best guess. But things didn't work out exactly as we thought. So there's been a lot of things. So just to throw out a few at the top of my head, they might probably not the, the best examples, but one is one, one of the printers. We, for some reason, cannot seem to get the attachments that need to go on some of the claims to print off this printer. <laughs> so we've had ITs looked at it many times. It's something in the mapping somehow that is not working. Okay, one thing. On the FQs, in the build, we didn't quite get it right. We FQs are different. They're not a hospital clinic, so mm -hmm. right off the bat, this is a one-off for Epic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when we uh, set it up, there was a lot of confusion as to whether a radiology charge was a, was a qualified FQ visit and how it needed to be reflected in the claim. All of that had to be rebuilt. So all of those claims were just sitting. Um, 
Right now, also too, one of the, the big factors in this is there's work cues and there's people that are supposed to be assigned the work cues that can actually work the problems with the claims. Well, a lot of the times the work use didn't go to the right person. So in some cases, the person didn't even know they had an issue because it was showing up in somebody else's work use. So we've had to go remap all the work use. So uh, um, uh, we've got a team that's just finished that now. Um, let's see, I could probably come up with I, I, a whole that's, lot. <laughs> no, that's a good flavor of what... Uh, so I just want to get... A little bit of yeah. a, you know, kind of some context of blood to, to why that is. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. it's. I, I appreciate her uh, doing it. Yeah. I, I think it's. Uh, it's important for for you all to know the reason why we say we anticipated, even though you know, on, in retrospect, even the examples here may may to some degree strike you as like that seems uh, um, pre predictable and avoidable in some context. It's mm -hmm. quite robust so. yeah. and it is a new way of operating and it's new people doing new things in addition to new ways of doing the things that they already previously did. You can train to the high heels, nothing looks, you, you probably, some of you on QPSC may have heard uh, Dr. Jamaluddin say like, hey, I was a physician trainer and I trained people on how to, you know, document in a new system. And then when I got in clinic, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Right, right. It just feel, looks and feels different when you're now sure. live on right. something. Sure. And, right. and so in addition to some of these things, it was just some people now saying, even if it's absolutely right, it's now like, okay, now what do they teach me to do? And I have to get through this. And so, so they tell you every organization has a huge sort of backlog of work cues that all these individuals have that you have to work through and for IT or I'm sorry not IT finance um, this type there's there's typically what we call the second go live it's like the second big main because mm -hmm. you have to wait a whole sort of uh, set of weeks or days and so for um, for encounters to actually work their ways through to get from that experience that happened at go live where they were doing it in the actual clinic uh, delivery setting to now getting to the bill part actually coming downstream so it's a whole rev cycle process that works through and it usually takes you know a month and a month and a half for it to hit you and then it takes you a few more months in to rebound from it and right. so that's where we that's what we find ourselves right now and are working quite vigorously to kind of make sure that rebounding occurs within the time frame that we we and epic think are, is um, is um, consistent with uh, the expectation so so we expected a dip we also expect to rebound and we need to make sure that second part and we'll see that when we talk about and, and some of it we purposely did I mean I, you have to recognize that for instance, level charges in the emergency room, right? Well, we want to make sure that we built the system and that the documentation is there to support it. So for the mm -hmm. first month or two of Go Live until we know that it's right, we're auditing every single one of those accounts before they go out the door. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just that alone is going to to right. make so it's, it slower. It's more, more of a go. delay in billing or is it you yeah. think it lost, we're gonna, lost there, billing? Sure. Yep. Yeah. A bigger thing too, uh, Richard sitting there made me uh, yeah. think about it. Within, you know, a big portion of our <laughs> of our book of business is post acute care, right. and mm -hmm. under the prior system where we had point click care for the um, uh, patient care part of it, and, and wait, the, the, the billing too, right? It was uh, it was uh, yeah, it was all kind of discreet and. Uh, under that system, we build on a weekly, weekly. basis. Under Epic, which is relatively new to the post-acute world, we're mm -hmm. kind of a little bit of a, a beta site of sorts in that case, uh, the billing is now monthly. 
And so there's a natural kind of cueing uh, that's going to be greater than what it was in our prior practice uh, that, that right. would be reflected right. in our So that creates a delay. In our road cycle. Right, right there. Yeah. Unless and until that changes, but for now that's what it, that's what it is. Right. I just want to make sure I've got this. Yeah, so the the months here, this or the amounts here represent the amount we collected for services we rendered in those months or the amount we collected in that month? This is just the total amount we collected Collected in that that month. month. Yeah, Yeah. and so that's why I've got the prior year there so you can kind of judge because our our operation hasn't really changed that much. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's... uh, it, it, it gives you a good indicator of the fact that we are behind in our collections. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay, so we, but we don't have sort of what we earned in the month versus what we collected in the month, but you're saying that that is 87.7%. So overall, this year we've collected 87.7% of the net revenue we recorded this year. Okay. Yeah, and we need that to be at 100% because that puts us at risk of having to have to make yet another adjustment, because I've already made two now. (laughs) Um, But at this point, we believe that uh, we're going to stabilize with Epic and our cash collections are going to come back up and we will never have to take another hit to make that 100%. We're not not so far out that it's at, I mean, every every month that we don't, you know, the lag between the uh, services and the collections put risk on the ability to fully collect those uh, expected revenues. But we're not so far out now that, that we're anticipating having to do that. Right now we think we're, you know, we're rebounding and fixing things and we'll, we'll get those things out and we'll collect on them. So the 87.7% could actually increase even retrospectively because we're still catching up and we, yeah, we, we wanted to get up to 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's all year to date. Because if it doesn't, then we will have to adjust our net revenue down. Yes. And so most of our payers is a 12 month or a six month. Uh, usually somewhere between 12 to 18 months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why November it looks the worst because that was the first full month after Epic. Exactly. Yes. That, is, that was my point. Yeah. And you're somewhere below 50 percent on collection now mm-hmm. in that month, right? Yeah. Is that a probably fair assumption? Yeah. If you look at it's kind of the aggregate, because because yeah. you can see the first couple of months are in line with, if not slightly better than prior year. Yeah. Uh, so and yeah, the bigger percent's accumulative. So yeah. Right. Yeah. The bigger part of that 87 or less than 100 of the 87. Remind me, I think you said it. Uh, when when do you think, <clears throat> when are we going to see like 120%? <laughs> like what months? Uh, we expect that we, right now. Over the, well, let's, let's talk about yeah, that. Well, That's what this right. next picture oh, right, right. is. I, I have another new picture for you today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this one um, basically looks at net patient revenue and compares it to cash collections. So the blue is the revenue we recorded on our books and the green is cash, green for money, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So in November you see the big dip there, right? Because that's that's what we're reporting through November. Everything on the right side of that low point, November, is our Mm -hmm. forecast. So uh, we had expected a decrease, but we expected it would be all the way back up within two months. So by the end of January. So uh, I can tell you right now that our projection wasn't was a little aggressive, but I do think that we will pick up and we will pick up quickly. I'm seeing a lot of things improving in the revenue cycle. 
Stand and to too. make sure that it does, we <laughs> have additional elbow support that we are going to pay for that we're going to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just as an aside, what's with the big uh, net patient revenue dip in June? That was the audit entry. We, oh. Yes, we talked about that a little yeah. earlier. Yeah. Uh, income statement to balance sheet approach on the contractuals. Right. Because that's, that's not the cash line. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Right. The, it's yeah. the net revenue, the blue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think I'll um, uh, continue to show this for a while because I think it's a good way to, to yeah. gauge yeah. how yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'll ask. We're not doing What is PFS? I'm sorry. Oh, patient financial services. Financial yes. services. Yeah. Thank you. Cash. <coughs> so it's it's what they're reporting is the actual cash we brought in. So that's not going to go up as we collect more because that's what we brought in the month for the month. So are you at, did you ask about NPR? Is that was your? Uh, she said, "What is PFS?" PFS. Oh, PFS. 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 Yeah, that means that that's it doesn't include supplemental money or other receipts. It's everything that our billing system um, collected, if you will. So I think I might still be confused because the net patient revenue there, the blue point, would be the amount that we said we earned basically for the month, right? Yes, for our patient services. So the green dot is not what we collected against that amount because it's what we received in that month. It's right? just what we received in the month. Okay. Got it. So is there a way or is it would it be helpful to look at actually what we collected against what we earned in a month? Because wouldn't that tell us we, better how we could do that? I'm for sure, but you're we doing would it. <laughs> always be in arrears. Yes. In fact, that's how we determine what to um, reserve on our on our HJR. We look at we look at paid accounts that have closed. So yeah, we could always bring that bring that back. But that's the basis of our reserve calculation. But here, if I was to do that, we haven't had time to collect this month or last month. Right. Or that's what. And I'm, so you wouldn't okay, have right. any. I wouldn't yeah. be able to. I wouldn't be giving you any information mm -hmm. in regard to how we're doing the net revenue and what our shortfall is. Does and that make sense? Yes. Right. I guess it's just two different things that mm -hmm. that we'd be looking at. Yeah, right and we now. do look at both. Right. You're okay. right. You're absolutely right. We. Uh, it's just in this case, I wanted to. I, my point here is that there is risk because our net revenue is higher than our cash. So that's number one. And number two, that you see that we went live and our cash totally tanked and that we're projecting that it's going to come and we need to, to monitor this closely. If I looked at what we had actually collected, all I would be telling you is, you know, we build out, you know, I don't know, 100 million in charges and we collect almost nothing. It, it wouldn't really give you any kind of an insight of where we should be or, or uh, what needs to happen. But this I, is giving us a, a more of a picture uh, that I guess points to like a cash flow issue because this is how much we're spending in order to get this revenue and then this is how much we receive but it doesn't necessarily show how well we're doing on collections over time. That's no. a different. Yes, okay. you are correct. Uh, if we wanted to look at our revenue cycle and how well we're doing in revenue cycle, what we would want to do is look at our contracts and how we're getting paid against those contracts. We'd want to look at denials, what our denial percentages are, um, trended by payer potentially, and make sure that there's you know, no big swings. And that stuff happens in the back end. Um, so, so hopefully that uh, because we fell much more than we anticipated in November, at some point that uh, 
green line will cross the blue line. That's right? what we want. That's <laughs> what we want. I was going to say, I think that's what I'm going to say. Yes, yes. I was about to say that. Thank you. Yes. So this is just showing how we forecasted it, but yeah, we would ideally want to experience a, a period where this is or at least a point where this uh, uh, exceeds yeah. that hundred percent plus two things that gap to ratio that's right, right. Yeah. thank you good these are good tools yeah it's helpful yeah. all right so then the next slide um is the vendor summary and there's a lot of numbers on this so i'll, I'll try to try to summarize it here um so this is just through November, first of all. Um, the total, and it says replacement, it should say placement. My apologies there. Probably used spell check and didn't go back and look at it. Um, but if you look at the first column, the um, total placements, it's um, 1850635 there. Um, if you look at the, the other number, the 1,005, um, that is so big because at that point in time we had not, um, as of November 30th, we had not given the San Leandro Meditech to any of the vendors to work. And yes, that's a problem. We wanted to do it back in the April time frame, but the Meditech is so old and the access to it is so difficult that it took us this long to give them access. I can tell you it's been solved. They have access starting in um, December. But as of the, when I pulled this, that had not been provided to the vendors to start working. The second column there is our collection target. If you did the math, you'd see, oh, it's 16.05, and then one of you will say, but Kim, if you look over at our budget, it's at 18. How come you only expect 16% uh, from our vendors? Well, my response to that would be that we didn't give everything to the vendors when we initially billed it. We worked some of it, and then we staged it to them. So this this calculation to come up with this estimate looked at how old the accounts were when we provided them to the vendors. That's why it's not as high of a collection ratio. Then the, the next column is what they've actually collected. And you can see without even anybody working this AR, although uh, Brenda would not appreciate me saying that because she says people are doing some work on this AR. Um, we've gotten the 169 million on the uh, one billion five. I guess I'm like, boy, well, my zeros are bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, you're, you're following. Good. Um, so uh, the vendors have collected a total of 53 million. That's the sum of the two subtotals there. The 30 and the 22. The 30 and the 22. Yes. And far over to the right is the percent we've paid. So we've paid one vendor 5.2% and the other vendor 6.3%. And I would expect you to say, why are we paying one more than the other? And it's because the contracts are different. One of them is a flat rate on collection. The other one is they get more um, on um, earlier uh, stuff that's given to them earlier, and then it goes um, down over time and I it's a table and it depends upon when we gave it to them and we were late so we probably had to pay they probably get a little more 
if you look at the comparison of the two, uh, vendor one looks to be doing a little better. However, vendor two still is working a lot of accounts. And we believe we should get another 66 or almost 67 million. But my prediction right now is that we're going to miss our target by 3%. And that's just based on timing. Mm -hmm. um, we've asked the vendors to come back with what they think the value of it is and to compare it to mine. Mm -hmm. So I should have that next time. Okay. So all of that revenue is going to hit the balance sheet. So we've already recorded the revenue. This is the cash coming in. This is the cash coming in. Good. Yeah. Okay. So the next slide here is uh, the uh, change in the net balance on the balance sheet compared to next last month. This is something that I guess has historically been included. You recognize that number there, the 1.8 net liability, because that tied out to our um, report that we were looking at earlier, the middle column. Yeah. Detail. Yes, and it, it's a shift of 12.2 million from last month. And I've summarized the reasons for this, and I can continue to do this if this, if this is of value to you, but it had no impact to our PL. All right, so we did these IGTs, we, these were all um, cash transactions, they went on the balance sheet. The net effect is, is just really. Um, small. Uh, the one point I do want to make sure I make is we owed the county 32 million on IGTs. We talked, I think, I don't know, I guess we, we may not have had them in September. I don't know if this was part of the yeah, September Finance we, Committee. No, I don't think it was. Yeah. Point, yeah. So we held back on um, pay, uh, repaying the county for the IGTs. Normally we immediately well, actually, turn you know that what money it was around. Because we talked about the fact that oh, we yes. had the issue with uh, the uh, other dollars and that we needed Why we to. couldn't pay We're it. at risk. Yeah, yeah. So we did, we did mention it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I just want to let everyone know we did, we did make good on this and we did pay those back. Um, and as you know, in December we, the, the board approved both of those dollars. So it kind of both things have occurred since the last yeah. time we met. So as soon as those dollars came in from the county, then we it's almost like paid this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they actually we ran to the bank to make sure. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> as you know, this money actually just it's it's all in the same place. It's, it's almost this not is real. All a virtual yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if this is helpful. You know, I. I I think we capture all of this everywhere else, but if it if it's I, meaningful, I continue to do it. Yeah. What what what's, is there a preference, committee members? I think your the chart that that you created is the most powerful one for mm -hmm. me, at least. Um, gives a sense of what the where the uh, actual liability or asset is going to fall, and when, and and it's an attempt to project when. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's fine. All right. So, and then as promised, um, I said I would uh, talk about the contingencies separately. Uh, I think uh, I think if we try to blend what's in our books with speculation on what we think may or may not happen, that it 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 can't have a good outcome from <laughs> my perspective. So, 
I just decided that maybe the best way to deal with this is just to have a contingency slide and I just I just tell you what we know. So that's what this slide is. That makes sense. Uh, love your feedback if you want changes or if it's you know if it if it meets the goal or doesn't meet the goal. Um, but I'll just go through the bullets here. So um, the good news that Devecchio mentioned uh, was that attention trauma team level two has been upgraded to a level one. Attention trauma team level two trauma has been upgraded to a level one. So the FY08 old waiver, um, we had a, a receivable on the books of two million, and we received notice that it's been settled and that we're actually going to have a pickup of an additional 11. So we're going to get 13 million in April, of which two million was all we had booked in my table. So. Um, that means that it's going to help us with our net negative balance and we will also uh, record that additional income because it was better than we had estimated in right. our financial statements we can in use December. Some of that news. And the reason why we're not waiting for the cash to come in is because we have the information required to accrue it. So from a generally accepted accounting principle, you have to be able to estimate the dollars that you're going to either receive or pay, and you also have to, you have to, to know uh, that you're going to get it. It has to be probable. It can't be just a speculation. Right. Yeah. So we, we, we did actually get confirmation, so we can record it. The second item is the new Medicaid GME IME program. This re replaces, you know, retired funding sources, and this is for our graduate education programs. Um, we're we're waiting to hear if CMS will approve the program because it hasn't been approved. We'd be speculating, so we can't record this. Um, we did, however, assume we would get 4.2 million in the budget. Um, because it's replacing retired programs, we all think there's probably a pretty good shot. And so I think that's why we went ahead and, and did the $4.2 in the budget. But we are at risk because they haven't approved it. Um, but if they did, we estimate it would actually be $15 million for years 17 through 20. So. Do we have any feedback of where they are in the program? Yeah, actually, so, so, uh, these, there's so many programs, but you might recall this one, and, and, and it goes back to FY17 because that was when um, the state and CAPH first uh, proposed it uh, to the state and then uh, the feds. And in some of those, well, I think it was around 18, we were we started to anticipate that it was going to be approved then. We kept getting positive signs that the discussions between the state and the feds were progressing and uh, the, uh, the proposal was moving forward. So we had booked some of the dollars for these in other years and then we had to back them out. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah. So we backed them out because we wanted to recognize that we hadn't received them yet. And then we, we talked to some of our other sister public hospital entities and realized that uh, many of them actually weren't uh, banking on them yet, so they said, you know, we 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 did that to rec to be in lockstep with how other people were doing it. This year, both because of our budget challenges, but also because it looked more uh, likely that we were. I mean, we're now about two years behind when we first presented it that it was going to be approved, and we only 
budget it. We didn't budget all of, as you can see, the, uh, the 15 from the prior years. We only budgeted what would be the portion of it for this year, anticipating both that we could get it this year, but also that you know when they started to do all the kind of true ups of prior costs related to the way the program is structured, that we pick up the rest of it. So. As Kim is mentioning, now we're in January. Now we're back in you know uh, August and September. I'm sorry, May and June of last year when we thought, yeah, it's quite uh, likely that it will get approved. The closer we get to the end of June, uh, um, the more we may be at risk that it might not come through this year either. Right. Doesn't mean uh, we we still have the potential, just like in the other years, to pick these dollars up. It's just a matter of timing. So uh, we will have to. And as she said, if if we don't have that approval yet. By the time we uh, ended the year, we'd have to back these dollars out because, from an actuarial perspective, there's not enough guarantee that the dollars are going to come through yet. So, so we're still there. Uh, we haven't heard it latest. The CAPH meeting is next Friday, so we'll get an update probably of where they are or what they've heard of late. Uh, but, but it's a you know, it's but a right now it's, it's a risk, a, but a modest risk. Yeah, so, got yeah. it. And it's in, it's in our revenue projections right now. The four point two. Four point two. Yeah. Yeah. Clearing that. The fifth. The other part. So, we'll in, so it'll be a pickup yeah. uh, if we get it this year. And the next item is the uh, delay of the Medicaid dish cuts. Um, so. Congress just temporarily delayed them, but we're actually getting paid as if they're not going to delay them. Hmm. So our um, payments for Q1 and Q2 were higher than what we you know, were, were originally thinking we would get. Uh, so the total contingency as of now is, is $15 million. But again, if that doesn't settle, we'll have to pay that back. So... American yes. healthcare got a lot. That's just crazy. Go Congress. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I know. And then the next item is the FY18 AB85 realignment funding. This is kind of the catch-all program that that kind of looks at everything in totality, and you know you right. figure out um, you know what what uh, final payments will be made. This one takes the longest to, I guess, finalize. Um, so in the FY20 budget, we had um, um, $15 million. Um, we, at this point, are not accruing anything in our books because we don't have the necessary, have not met the necessary requirements to record it. Uh, so I don't have any updates on it, but that's that's kind of where we're at there. I don't know if you have any comments on that one. No. Uh, just said um, so. This AB eighty five uh, is the basis of the twenty million, or I'm sorry, forty six million dollars that we got for this year. You recall, it takes two years for them to uh, reconcile everything. Uh, uh, as we started to, the reason we predicted the forty six million this year is that last year was the first time when it turned and looked like we were actually going to be able to keep some of the dollars. So eighteen, which should be resolved in twenty, uh, uh, is suggesting that we uh, would be able to get fifteen million dollars back. And so we're just waiting on all of that to get finalized uh, to finally uh, be able to uh, book, uh, book and anticipate the, the cash. And then the final item here isn't uh, really a contingency on supplemental, but it is in regard to revenue. So I went ahead and included it here. And we're currently negotiating the FY20 rates for um, behavioral health. And we're also finalizing the FY19 payments with the county. Um, we have not uh, included any of these additional payments in the cash forecast 
or in our uh, net in our uh, in my forecast. So it's not in the budget. It's it's not included. But I don't want you to mix these up with the other payment we just got, the twenty three million, right? Because this is nineteen and twenty. Oh, okay. 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 So we'll get right. a new rate. That'll go back until we get retroactively paid for the difference. To July 1 for the FY20 rates. And then we're talking about some uh, issues in 19. I don't know what will happen with that, but we're. Yeah, we, uh, Kim wasn't in our meeting on Monday. Uh, so what the uh, uh, county has shared with us uh, now is that for FY19, uh, they will approach the um, sort of reconciliation, if you will, uh, the same way they did for 13 through 18. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of doing them differently because something, uh, there was a change in the way in which uh, the county and the state uh, uh, operate the short dole program in terms of like what, what is able to be counted as non-federal share. Uh, mm -hmm. in 19 so so we're expecting and they've telegraphed that they will treat 19 the same way they did uh, 13 through 18 and so uh, they're kind of handling that also as a one-off uh, so we should expect that probably in the next month or so we'll we'll finalize what that is and okay. from a contractual basis I believe what we've been the delta between what the contracted maximum was and what we've been reimbursed for for FY 19 is some it's a difference of somewhere between eight to ten million dollars and so we can expect that the, the likelihood is about eight to ten million dollars of additional reimbursement for uh, services rendered in FY19 will come through separately from the FY20 rates and the FY20 rates would be more real time so when you when you're looking at year-to-date uh, uh, performance on the income statement against expenses and revenue uh, we're still running the revenue on the interim contract rates which are still those old rates so mm -hmm. we are right. we are um, generating revenue effectively at the same rate that we were in FY19 and arguably in other years as well. Uh, but you know that both costs have increased and not only have cost increases, you know, in behavioral health, uh, and so not just CPI or, um, um, you know, um, um, not CPI, but uh, market rates. Um, but also, we increase the staffing relative to our uh, vulnerabilities for yeah. mm -hmm. um, yeah. realizing that you know our staffing mix was not um, uh, consistent with the the the, uh, the services that we were delivering there, as well as our regulatory challenges. So, so that gap can get closed when we get these uh, rates, and we're working, we're still working through that negotiation with them. Yeah, answer my uh, question. So the rates are going to be based on cost, essentially. Um, we're closer to cost, but more. What I'll say is the contract will be more reflective of our costs. Uh, but there's still some limitations with the county, uh, as we understand them, based uh, and that is how much. So the thing that changed in 19 was that there used to be a an ability of the county. Uh, and providers to kind of partner to create the non-federal share. Uh, so it was like a, the county available dollars uh, could be married with a, a provider, I forget what they call a supplement or something like that, and then they, that could get matched and it all would come down so that you could figure out can, how much you can charge. I just got a reminder that we need to speak into the microphone. Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah, sorry. I completely forgot that. I wasn't expecting to speak. I should stop uh, speaking. So. Uh, I'll work on that. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, and in 19, uh, what changed, uh, as I understand it now, is that uh, that basis of the non-federal share can only be county costs, so they're relegated to available dollars that they have for behavioral health funding. Uh, and so, um, okay. so the costs or in FY20 won't be, or the basis of the uh, contract won't be 
exclusively the cost because the costs are greater than the funding that they have. Uh, we're trying to work through that and figure out how we recognize it, not just through direct costs or direct payment for those services, but recognizing uh, the supplemental services or sources like GPP and Measure A and others that uh, might actually uh, should be construed as the basis for how costs for behavioral health are covered. So, so we're working through that. But the upshot of this should be that for FY20, uh, what we have budgeted, which was a straight run rate of what we experienced in 19, uh, will there'll be a favorable improvement uh, mm -hmm. that'll you know help us to close that gap more. And how often do we renegotiate our rate for behavioral? Annually. Annually. Yeah, and and well, I'll say annually. It should have always been annually. Right. But <laughs> it was not being done annually, and but now we are. There's also a lag, right? Yes. Yeah. So you don't. What happens is that you go. You go a number of months into the year before the adjustments are made. Correct. So what happens is they, they always roll over your contract yeah. based on the previous year. Yeah. But it hadn't right. been yeah. done for all these yeah. years. So, so Right. We were doing sure interim and not final. Yeah. And the interim was basically serving as a final. And so that second part of like going back to negotiate it to become a final uh, uh, wasn't happening. This year is happening. Okay. Uh, and uh, obviously that will be the, the, the plan for how we will do subsequent years as well. Internally, I'll tell you that uh, this particular contract, along with another one that's a much smaller um, uh, behavioral health contract that's connected to IOP and some other services, were in a different shop in the organization than our managed care contracts. Uh, it was more in the contracts and grants realm, which is, as you might expect, different than a managed care kind of construct. And mm -hmm. we have now shifted it over to where I think it's more appropriately housed, which is a managed care contract, even though it's with the county who historically and for a bunch of other programs would not be viewed as sort of a managed care type of contract. This is effectively that. It's a service contract for, uh, it's a, for a group of managed patients, the SMI population. Okay. So the $23 million is for 2013 to 2018. It yes. kind of reconciles whatever the discrepancies were, or the fact that we hadn't been doing the rate adjustments all those years? Correct. Okay, and then 19 will be some similar process to what we did for that. Mm -hmm. And then 20 is going to be a, a recalculation with a new rate that is effective as of July. July 1 of this year, okay. and then go through the rest of this year. You got I think it. I got it now. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. Well done. And that's how it'll work every year every year. going forward. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. When do you start the negotiation on FY21? So, <laughs> great <laughs> question. Um, uh, we would love to do that as quickly as possible. As you might imagine, um, there's a lot of nuances, right? So, so it, ideally, you do these things before the year starts. Um, as Ross just mentioned, well, one, just think about the end of the year. We're doing our budget. They're doing their budget. Right. So the same people are tied up in a lot of different things so the time that it takes which we're in the second meeting we're probably going to have to do at least two more of these meetings definitely one uh, possibly two more uh, meetings um, to coordinate and get all the people together to do it, it takes a while so my guess is uh, they're they're um, traditional practice of basically just carrying for the uh, existing contract um, uh, as an interim mm -hmm. will be the practice we'll do and then uh, hopefully we'll get tighter at the window from going from interim to final can be closer so it'll be earlier in the fiscal year than right. where we are now because I you know I get worried that the longer we go the, the longer that gap is and we're not recognizing yeah. the fact that How, however it, traditionally with the county it's been like a, it's like a six-month process because the, of 
they're finalizing their information. They're still getting information from the state. I mean, a lot of it is is uh, contingent on things that are beyond their control. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we ha- we have to recognize that. Yeah. And 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 what I can say is, uh, um, and I think the team will corroborate this. Uh, the discussions uh, around this have been. Um, collectively illuminating and quite collegial uh, and I hope that that uh, right. uh, spirit continues as certainly what we want to see and uh, emulate going forward. Yeah so one of the you know, it seems like one of the lessons is that we weren't tracking our true cost closely enough to say oops there's something wrong here there's mm-hmm. an incongruence between our real cost and what we're being reimbursed when we were kind of I, rolling yeah. this over so is that a well? I think one of several lessons. It. No, no, no. I think I think well, we, were, we were submitting, but I don't yeah. think we were doing anything with it. We, yeah. you know, our our team provides our you know cost data, the, the reports to the county. Yeah. It's just that we weren't that nothing was happening with them. Right. So are we? So, uh, so what's important at this point is where we're going. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so is that? Are you confident that we now? <coughs> Shifting yeah. this over to to a, a, a different group of folks and yeah, let me just say there were and I think others were agree, there were a lot of lessons learned even mm-hmm. just at this point. Uh, so so I mentioned one just in terms of where the contract was and who uh, uh, kind of the the relative knowledge that was informing how this works. Um, you know, utilization management is another area where mm-hmm. there, you know, we have these relationships where they can look. We give them access to our EHR so that on a concurrent review basis, they're saying this is an allowable charge or allowable uh, stay or visit or whatever. And then the billing happened in a co- kind of completely different context. In a spreadsheet, not in right. the not in a system. Yeah. Arcane, yeah. Uh, yeah. Arcane part, part, part of the thing, if you, if you go back several years, though, uh, actually, uh, Los Angeles County was the ones that were really behind it originally. Their their cost of their four four hospitals that they ran were far in excess of what they were getting reimbursed for for the medical you know, eligible clients. And so they went back to the state at, along with the, their association and agreed for county county like hospitals that they shouldn't be held to a schedule of maximum allowances. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened in that whole uh, process that we we got left behind that mm-hmm. we just didn't realize what was going on and mm-hmm. that uh, that the county could have treated us different than other um, contractors because of the way the system was set up but yeah. it, you know there were also yeah, yeah other just yeah, big structural yeah. shifts that I think uh, kind yeah. of uh, were concurrent with even that change which is yeah. up until 14 when the contract was last like fully negotiated. Uh, the county was billing on AHS's behalf for this particular scope of services, and mm-hmm. so shifting it over to AHS and 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 having the uh, kind of relative re- relevant institutional knowledge to make sure that those things were happening uh, 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 well was appears to you know have been a lapse. Uh, obviously, turnover in terms of people on our side, uh, perhaps a little bit on their side, uh, uh, was also, I think, creating opportunity. Just people only having pockets of knowledge mm-hmm. about how certain things yeah. work. I think, yeah. you know, that was a part, uh, that yeah. is a part of this yeah. uh, as well. And, and on the 27th, I think it is, we have this big collective kind of all hands on deck discussion with them and us about how all of this works. Uh, because um, I almost, I gave you a caveat for the 13 through 18, but I don't want to get too ahead of it, but that there is one opportunity here, a potential opportunity, so it's a low, a low thing, but a potential opportunity that uh, there was a substantial or a substantive, as you say, um, element of our costs 
that were that are still not reflected in uh, the reports that uh, they do based off of the kind of the way that they requested the information from us and then submitted it to the state that that has a slight so don't go too far with this, but has a slight potential to actually present an additional opportunity to get more dollars, even for 13 through 18. So we're mm -hmm. still figuring that out. Uh, uh, but uh, again, it's just one of the things are, you know, how the knowledge gets transferred and how the, uh, the collaboration works to just figure out how things work so that everybody's operating uh, in the most optimal way. So I, you know, I really, as a board member, appreciate the retrospective on the, on the, on the system, on the behavioral health care um, services that we provided that we had, I think, uh, in November, if mm -hmm. I remember right. And uh, so this conversation, I'm trying to mirror the two. I'm wondering, you know, given what was happening on the uh, billing and rate side, uh, was that a factor in really restricting our, our capacity to uh, expand really meet or, or the need? Services? Uh, um, you know, I, it's tough for me to say that it 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 didn't uh, because I think on a macro level, obviously we always want to or we we like to do our best to make sure that uh, our expenses are being managed. And so, you know, I can't I, I can't uh, say with full confidence that that type of mindset wouldn't have uh, influenced our sense around how. Our ability to, to uh, uh, invest or to uh, uh, put more resources in certain areas that would be in line with revenue that we expect. Uh, I don't know if on a granular level, I, I would imagine that it, it could have influenced those things. Um, uh, at the same time, I think that we try to call forward is part of what was happening last year too when um, when that tension is so great because uh, it's a tension that won't ever go away right even if we're doing well right. we still got to manage it sure. but when it's so great that we're concerned that we're in a in a really dangerous spot in terms of kind of suppressing expenses and uh, costs so much so that it compromises safety and quality and, and that, that was that so was where I was going with I, that. I, so I think it's worth reflecting on yeah you know the, what's the threshold for that, yeah. How do we trigger a conversation when we're getting close to that? I mean, it, the reports in the last couple of years from John George have just been a lot, yeah, alarm yeah. there, right? Yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. The, the The other thing we're trying to do, and maybe this is going just a little too far, but you know, as as, as I've said here, and we've said. Uh, um, uh, kind of in our internal uh, uh, meetings um, uh, and, and meetings with the county is like, you know, the gap between our costs, the cost we experience in the provide services as well as, and the revenue we get, uh, is also influenced by operations, uh, meaning what we're experiencing. And mm -hmm. uh, part of that experience is based off of kind of like relative access to services in the community, both pre-hospitalization right. and post-hospitalization. So, so what we don't want to kind of... Uh, it promulgate as a thing uh, as a mindset is like we want to cover that gap because I think we'd be funding inefficiencies, right? Yeah. We, yeah. What we want to do is yeah. say, hey, if, if it's costing us, you know, or we're losing, let's say, you know, five to ten million dollars a year on denials because people are not appropriately in the setting, then let's not like try to cover that gap by giving yeah. us, you know, uh, additional money. Let's try to invest where people should be and get them to those places. And so yeah, right, that, gosh. I mean, uh, you don't, you don't always have the luxury to have that type of conversation when you're, when you're hemorrhaging cash, uh, but we need to start it so that we can, yeah. if we don't start it, we won't ever get there. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the spirit that we're trying to, uh, when we get past the contract, really look at in the out years as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll 
will there be an opportunity for the board to kind of look at that if it's significant in terms of deny like what things have been denied because that sounds like it could drive our conversation about what we might want to be doing in the delivery system yes uh so i think so i think you know when we talk about strategy and when we talk about kind of uh, uh, um, uh, looking at budgets in, in subsequent years my hope is that we can uh, have a informed conversation not just kind of with the organization but with uh, the county behavioral health and other entities that have an influence on this to say what are you seeing uh, and how should we be trying mm -hmm. to uh, uh, invest in or support uh, um, uh, service delivery that mm -hmm. could help us by putting it somewhere else. Okay. No, I guess my question goes back a little bit to, to my earlier question about the cash coming in because I think I might have gotten confused between the legacy AR vendors versus closed accounts. So maybe you can just help me with this that we transition to a balance sheet approach, valuing AR based on closed accounts and aging analysis. Yes. That so that those are closed accounts, meaning paid, no. fully paid, <laughs> totally adjudicated. Oh, okay. They have zero mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. our or close to zero in our AR ledger. Okay. So what we do is, if it hasn't been paid, we exclude it. So legacy AR vendor just means that this was at the time that we took on Epic that we moved those accounts somewhere else, but they're still open accounts. Some of them could be bad debt. Some of them are, they're still working. You're correct. They're, okay. So starting back in April, we started taking sections of our AR based on a schedule. We were a little late doing it, but right. we got it to the vendors to, to start working so that our staff could learn Epic and get trained and right. get on the new system because uh, they couldn't do both. Right. So that was that's okay. the but the legacy air vendors can still write uh, call um, classify work, work the, work the claims yes. but also classify bad debt. Yes. And they okay. are and they and are. They are. Okay. Yes, and a little sooner than we had hoped. Okay. <laughs> right. Thanks. Okay, I think I'm clear now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's see. So here is the uh, line of credit. It looks better than it did uh, it last right. time I was here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the lines are in the wrong so I just put a few notes here. We did receive the, the 23 million of behavioral health. We, we did talk about that, but uh, it was received, so that helped us. We got we are now planning for the 13 million of cash in April. Um, in January, we have realignment receipts of 46 million. 38 of which will record as revenue because we're going to put a reserve on that because we don't know if we're going to have to pay any of it back, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we, the 46 will actually be cash, which will come make our line of credit come down. Mm -hmm. And then I talked about the dish delay and the fact that we're getting paid as if the right. dish delay is not going to happen. So that is also helping our okay. cash balance or cash. Keep watching it. Credit. Any questions or keep going? Mm -hmm. We're okay. We like that one, huh? Yeah, you like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have questions when we don't like it. <laughs> so the next one is the worst case scenario, right? Um, so currently, we're projecting. You just saw that we'll be at um, 105 million at 6:30, and then we had these re recoupments here. 
Um, if you you could always go back and tie back to my schedule, maybe not exactly because these were specific items that may not completely line up, but very close. Um, so the first item there, the payback for the Medi-Cal, the P14 cost report not being finalized, we think that'll happen in 21. So, you know, we've got it here as a worst case because we don't know. The um, FQHC, that's uh, our pending uh, lawsuit uh, on our Highland uh, scope of service. Uh, there's no new update there. I, I do have a meeting with our attorney to kind of get better grounded in that. Uh, the waiver recruitment from 09 to 15, it used to be 08, 08 is done. <laughs> so uh, there's still the liability out there. The 75, we've moved that to 21. And then the spa, we talked about that earlier, that we now think that's going to be pushed out further. Um, so if for some reason we were completely wrong and they all came to pass, that would be an additional $176 million we'd have to pay out. And then we would not meet our target. And we would be asking for $176 But hopefully that gives some, uh, some uh, degree of confidence that we at least for now, seem to be doing okay. Well, I think that we we will pay this eventually. Yes. I mean, I just think we have, I, I appreciate that you have this on here because it's money we owe, you know, whether this year or next year, we have to, it's gonna hit we us. and our partners need to know yeah. it. We need to yeah. plan for it. Unless and until we hear anything different. Right. This yes. is what we know. Okay, so then this is the 2020 forecast. Um, uh, I, I think I hid one too many columns Actually, in here. I, uh, did you want to say something? I did. I, I mean, <clears throat> it's just interesting to see that, that $156 million number, but we think it's hitting in two or three different fiscal years in the next couple of years. Yeah, so that we owe that money. We just don't know when we're going to have to pay it back. Right. So we're guessing. And if, if, if all of those demand for payments came in tomorrow, the expectation would be that we would pay it. Right. It just seems like, if, based on your earlier slides, I can't remember where it was, but that we think it's going to happen in these different years. It was like two or three different fiscal years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So if it were three, so that you take the you do the math, it's about fifty million a year. Yeah, probably not a good way to do it. <laughs> I know. I but, know. but yeah, uh, I mean, effectively, I think that the, the, the big takeaway here is if, not, if none of these come to pass this year, that 105, and that's what was reflected on the last trend curve, mm -hmm. is where we'll be. So we can predict, as you see, uh, just above the bold thing there, the year-end target for the yeah. NNB this year is 125. So we would be compliant with the permanent agreement this year. If all of that, the likelihood that all of that comes to pass this year is, is I think, at this point, zero. Uh, uh, but we just put it there, as we said earlier, just so everyone knows it's out there. And this is just saying, again, worst case scenario, if all of it came to pass, then we will be well over the target. Uh, but the likelihood of that is, is guess, zero. It's yeah, I guess my question is, how do, how do we budget for this <laughs> in the spring as we start to look at our budget and, and what it's going to look like for next year? Um, mm -hmm. How do we budget for it in a way that's? Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think that that it's that we're going to have a crystal ball. So if you look at this right. spreadsheet that I gave you, yeah. mm -hmm. you can see what I think we're going to pay for it. We're going right. to need to right. pay it, and um, so there's a there's 50, an amount. Yeah. yeah. So 
how do you do that? So are we going to take it out of operations? Are we going to need to uh, change one of our programs? Or is this something that you know we could collaborate with with you know with the county? Uh, I don't know. I'm mm -hmm. I'm I'm hopeful that you know we can be very collaborative and you know have these open discussions. I it would be really nice if we had the cash that we could put aside to pay for it, but but we don't. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And these are these are payments for service. You know, the service has already been rendered. It's mm -hmm. all this. This is we owe it. Right. Yeah. So even if we were to cut a current service, we'd also <coughs> lose the revenues off of that and Correct. may not have much of an impact. On That's it. what we ran into yeah. last year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Solve it on the back of the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Could, but, but obviously we're going to have to make some kind of, you know. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to be planning for it. And, and uh, I think this is, I mean, I it's the only way I know how to do it. Yep. Yeah. No, that's helpful, I think, the way you're Yeah, I mean, I know we don't have, like, reserves, right? But is there a way to create some kind of audit reserve in partnership with the county, like, knowing that this is a thing that uh, always ha happens and that we don't know when, and just as a way to sort of say we, we, we're, we're anticipating it. Yeah. We just don't need it yet. I don't know. So two points, I think. Uh, one is, so, so if you tie back to, so this slide is showing you, the, the, at least the major buckets of liabilities we believe we have. The other uh, table that she went through with you um, earlier uh, shows you the table of the liabilities as well as the AR that we anticipate. Mm -hmm. And what you can see is there's a much smaller number there of a variance between those two. If all those programs, again, are appropriately uh, booked, then we're talking about the system having a kind of a net liability of, of these things, not the permanent agreement, but of these things of about 1.2 uh, or 1.7 uh, billion. But that presupposes some of the AR that we expect coming in and when it comes in. So there's still a kind of a timing element that's believe uh, So that's one thing, but obviously, again, still, still some speculative element there. The other thing, and, and I'll uh, ask Kim to speak to this. Uh, sorry, you were, were you going to say something? I was just going to comment that some years are positive here. So mm -hmm. if your operations right. are, you know, better than break-even, right. yeah. then you can that's find the second part of where I was going to go. Yes. Plan. And exactly. Yeah. So if you yeah. think about it, uh, if we and and you can see FY20 actually, if if some of those expenses that we are expecting to occur uh, incurred don't come to pass, uh, to the extent that they were expected and projected in our budget. So this is a difference. If they're in our budget, then that's additional revenue that we can mm -hmm. actually then book or, or uh, have book and anticipate uh, for potentially uh, mm -hmm. resolving some of this uh, outstanding liability. If they weren't in our budget, i.e., you know, we 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 uh, it was all kind of sitting out on a balance sheet, and it doesn't come back. That's not additional revenue that we can actually then book towards right. this. But getting back to the first part of this, let's say we outperform in a budget year. Uh, the extent to which we outperform, we could say we're going to put this in a reserve for when those liabilities come due. The challenge we have as an organization is the organization has operating expenses and the organization has capital expenses. Capital expenses are in a, a natural part of doing business uh, outside of big projects, and big projects are too, like the ATR, or this ATR, which we didn't pay for, the county did, but the rehab, which we had to pay for, and obviously Epic, which we paid for, and now Alameda. So, but we have other routine capital that we suppressed, and we have 
up until now not looked at what happens in the out years. So when you, if you may recall when we did the budget, we didn't have substantial investments in capital uh, for things like equipment repairs or facility repairs and things like that in the out years. Now it's time for us to actually start looking at that because those things are going to happen. I mean, you know, pipes burst, uh, what is it, uh, roofs leak, uh, equipment dies, that kind of stuff happens. And now we need to kind of put those in. So our ability to set aside those additional dollars that we get to cover these liabilities is wholly predicated on how much of that we need for these capital things that we will incur. The challenge with us, as it stands right now, is when you look at that, and the net negative balance, because all of this is not even having anything to do with the 125 million that we owe or will owe. Uh, um, it's just, I'm going to say, highly implausible that you can have an organization that will be able to reserve for those liabilities when you have just such a significant amount of debt. So it's with the 125, right? right. There. Yeah. Right. So, so the 105 million, the projected net negative balance, does that assume that we would catch up on some of the <laughs> revenue shortfalls that we have? You know, like on the billing side. We did not. We didn't include the behavioral health, I and mean, we could go back through the slide of what's in and what's out. Well, no, no. I was just wondering. You know, so what you're showing on that one slide that we're that our cash is way below. You, you know. Yes. And that we're hoping that it's going to come back up again, right? Yes. So I'm wondering if do we, in the, is the 105 assumed that it's going to come back up? It only assumed my line. The green okay. line was the forecast. So it should be a little better than that. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So the 105 could be 90 or 80. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Correct. Okay. So it could, I mean, there are ways that it gets better. Again, it's a matter of balancing yeah. the getting better to then how much you have to program going forward for things like capital in out years and then obviously managing your capital appetite as an organization so I don't think we should I, I wouldn't advise this organization to be thinking about uh, substantial uh, well, it comes, uh, uh, optional investments um, you know uh, yeah. but but I do think that the organization needs to uh, anticipate and we haven't plugged in mm -hmm. uh, routine investments that you just have to do to kind of keep yourself mm -hmm. up and going. So, so there'll be a balance of needing to do that and then setting some dollars aside. So there's some opportunity, just not substantial. And then the, the money we set aside for the various cost report settlements, is our past history that we end up being pretty close on our estimates? My understanding is we're pretty close. We tend to be maybe a little bit conservative because well, we don't good. like bad news. Sure, sure. But not substantially. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm going to pass and move on. Okay, so the last item is the 2020 forecast. Um, I probably hid one too many columns. I, probably I should show you year-to-date November, which ties back to the financials that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And then I probably should have shown you December through June, the remaining fiscal year, and had them add together to get to the FY 2020. They were in the packet. I mean, that, that yeah, it is. The full thing is in the packet. I, but it would be easier for you to understand what we did Let's here, the math. That um, yeah. so, so basically the FY 2020 there, kind of in the middle, is the sum of the year-to-date plus our forecast. And then I've compared it to the FY 2020 budget and provided you a variance. 
So right now, it looks like we will miss um, net patient service revenue by 13.1. Our supplementals will be 16, I'm sorry, 6.9 million better. Our operating expenses will be favorable 1.6, and our operating income will be a miss of 4.6 to budget. Now, I've summarized the items I've adjusted on the next slide, but I think it will be easier for this presentation if I just tell you what they are okay. um, and correlate it back to this, okay? Okay. So, we talked about the FY08 waiver settlement, the um, 11 million of additional revenue that we will record this year. We're going to get 13 million of cash, 11 of revenue. That waiver settlement is part of why the supplementals are up 6.9 million. Mm -hmm. We also had, um, oh, I have to look at my own notes here. Oh yes, so then we also reduced that by 3 million for as a placeholder for QIP. So QIP is based on measures that we need to achieve, clinical measures, and we know with EPIC that we haven't been doing that great at capturing everything that we needed to capture. It may be that it got documented in the wrong spot and it's not coming up in the report. I mean, we know there's going to be issues. Do we know exactly what that means to us yet? No. So we put a placeholder in here, and I'm sure the clinical folks and quality folks are saying, Kim, what makes you think? How did you ever come up with that number? It really is just one of these, and they will weigh in and we'll refine that number. But I felt like we really needed to have something in this forecast. So that is what I did. So if you take the 11 minus the 3, you get just about to the 6.9 in the supplementals. Going back up to the net patient service revenue, there's a couple of items happening there. First of all, we're starting 10.8 below as of November, and I'm adding another 2.3 unfavorable net revenue. Mm -hmm. That is for our strategic initiatives that we're not achieving this year, the deliveries and the clinic visits. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that Luis will go more into that detail. So that's causing the 13 million miss there. Uh, moving on to the uh, expenses, uh, we're currently 5.3 positive. Um, I'm reducing that favorable variance by two items. One, I mentioned earlier that we're bringing in a lot of support to make sure that we have a successful EPIC or SAFIRE implementation. That's going to cost us $1.5 million. Uh, in addition to that, uh, John George, we increased staffing up there. The balance of the year, I think, is going to be an additional $2 million of salary dollars. So that's what's bringing that down to $1.6. That is the forecast. So everything accounted for. That I know that of. far off with the budgeted assumption. And our, we, we are working to achieve budget. Uh, 
uh, Luis, uh, he's got a, 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 he runs a budget uh, variance meeting and he's always looking for opportunities. And I, uh, I had uh, Helen Tam, who supports it, uh, create a model and she's putting these initiatives in there if they're material. We don't mm -hmm. want to track every single dollar and right. we never want to get into a situation where we're only looking at the positives because then you're right. going to get burned. So uh, to me it's pretty much a million dollar threshold before we really want to start um, yeah. messing with it. So um, she's, uh, she's doing that. She's basing her estimates on what Luis and the team um, are projecting. So that's kind of the, the, the program, if you will. Yeah, good. Any, dare you ask any other questions? Nope. Because I'm really going to, I'm going to lose this bet with staff, I think. What was the bet? I was wise enough not to actually commence an actual <laughs> bet, so I'm okay. <laughs> it's my pride that was <laughs> That's important in 2020. Yeah, right. Well, considering my cold, I think I spoke a lot. Well, you did a good <laughs> job. Thank you very much. It's obvious that you've uh, hit the ground running and you're settling in, that's for sure. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate your uh, the reports that you're putting together for us and making it a little clearer. Luis. Thank you, sir. Well, I will I will try and make up some time, but I'm not going to lie. I don't think I can <laughs> do, do anything best. to help you. I think it's not important. <laughs> I know, I know. So uh, again, th thank you for, for the opportunity here. So to, to not to repeat everything that, that came, I mean, we went into a lot of detail. There was a lot of uh, wonderful discussion. I wanted to share uh, with you all just, um, actually, I'm sorry, I want to fast forward through this. That you, in, your, in your package, you have the October mm -hmm. and November reports because mm -hmm. of, again, the, the, mm -hmm. the meetings. Uh, I'm only going to focus on the November report, which is giving you the most uh, up-to-date information, and it aligns with uh, what Kim has, has just discussed in, in, in broader detail for the entire system. I've also asked Dr. Bavaria to sit with me here because in our last meeting there was some discussion around what are we doing in our clinic, in our ambulatory uh, SBU to address some of the gaps recognizing that some of our initiatives are directly tied mm -hmm. to improvements in our ambulatory access and clinic visits. And so I've asked her to join me to give us some details of some of the great work they're doing to really drive and improve these efforts. So that said, this slide is not new. Uh, you've seen it before, uh, and it's really essentially uh, gauging where we're at uh, and how we're performing year to date as compared to what we had established as a target. What I will tell you is that uh, starting at the very top, you have your uh, women's services visits, which is the clinic visits. Uh, in the middle, you have primary care. And then at the bottom on the top uh, graph there, you have your optometry visits. Uh, and then in the bottom square on the left there, you have your med surge additional days, uh, patient days, uh, which was a result of opening those additional beds in the third floor of San Leandro. And then our deliveries, increasing deliveries that we have projected. Uh, what I will say at this point and based on our, our, our projection and in discussions with Dr. Bavaria, and she can go into greater detail, uh, we, you know, we, we do have some concerns uh, in our women's services clinic visits and in our deliveries. Hmm. However, I wanted to just point out that in our primary care visits, uh, although we're right now falling short of target, there is a tremendous amount of work that's going on and, and uh, there is a, a degree of confidence that we're gonna be able to close that gap and get much closer to where we were in our target. 
Uh, and the optometry, uh, optometry visits, this was something that we had planned for in the budget not to begin until the middle of January. So although it's reflecting, oh, okay. we've been tracking it. So it's too early. To it's, it's very early. So th that those providers have been, have been oriented, have gone through epic training, and they are starting now the middle of January. And so we, we, we expect to be able to come in and, and close that gap. On the med surge delivery day, uh, med surge days uh, at San Leandro, again, we just opened those beds on Monday. So again, in our budget, we plan to start that in January, recognizing that the licensing and the opening of the rehab occurred in early December. Right. I just wanted to just share some context to let you know that although some of these, that you look at all of them and say, oh, you're behind on all of them, well, we, we do have rationale why some of these are still behind. Oh, you're pretty clear about that one. And, okay, yeah. so I just, well, thank you, but I wanted to just make sure that I... So really, we're looking at the top and the bottom, the women's services and deliveries. Is Correct. As, as Potentially. areas of concern. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wait, and, and primary? Well, primary care, like no, I said, uh, Dr. Barbaria will speak to that, but I, we, we do have some degree of confidence that we're going to be able to close that gap. Right, but, I mean, okay, cool. Okay. So, uh, with that, uh, I will go to the next slide here. This is not uh, new either. We did add another column, and the reason we added that extra column, thanks to Helen, the great work she does with our team, is just to give us a gauge and a sense of how we're performing and how we're tracking month over month. So in the past uh, several months with several reports, I've given you kind of where we're at year to date and the variance year to date. But you're, you know, the, the question was, well, is it, is it getting better, is it not? So this is kind of giving you an indication here. When you look at all of those indicators, all the metrics, they're all, if we continue the same performance that we experienced through November, we're gonna continue to work and, and we're closer to closing the gap. Again, we still have concerns around women's services and deliveries. So we'll, we'll speak more to that. Uh, yes. Okay, so what you're saying, that uh, the trend line, that's, yeah, it all started going back up in November. In Correct. Got it. Due, again, based on the performance for the month, we were able to right. change the trajectory and get us in, in a positive direction. Now, December, depending on what happens in the activity of December and so on and so forth, that, that line will fluctuate. But again, that's what we're, we're going to track. Yeah. And this is intended to give you a sense of how we're performing month over month. Please, yes. I think I'm still just confused about the correlation between your volume and your revenue in primary care when I thought we were all in capitation now for primary care. Do you want me to speak to that? Go ahead. So we are capitated for our managed care plans where we get a per member per month. So for Alameda Alliance and Anthem Blue Cross, we do get sort of a lump sum that's paid out through the year as you've heard, but all of our four primary care wellness centers are FQHCs, which you've also heard, federally qualified health centers. And so for each of those, there's a wraparound payment and that is not capitated. That is purely visit volume driven. And so at the end of the year, we do our reconciliation. Um, so just to give you an example, our FQHC global rate per visit is anywhere from 200 to $300, depending on which one of our four wellness centers you're at. The capitation portion of that is roughly sixty to seventy dollars. So the bulk of our revenue for all FQHC visits is actually not no. capitated, and it comes from the wraparound. So if you don't get that patient into clinic and you don't see them, you're leaving all that money on the table, even if you're getting the capitated rate. And this is reconciled at the end of the year. Do you know the dates for the reconciliation? I, I, I don't. I think it's once just, a year, but yeah. Tangerine is and Chulin are experts who know it. I don't know if it's twice a year we, or once a year. We complete a, a uh, like a cost report for it, but the rates are set. Um, they they get set and they don't change 
unless you do a scope change, and yeah. then they re-look at everything. Right. Our rates have been in place for quite some time. And only one small uh, edit to what you just said. Um, I think we're only capitated for Promaker with the Alliance. I don't, I don't oh, sorry. Yes, yes yeah. you are correct. So we're not capitated with Amber. So those are all, I mean, it's all fee-for-service, but with the wraparound anyway, so the rate is still what it is for either one, but the capitation, you, you all may recall when we said the capitation was kind of a, it's the foray into managed care for us, um, um, but it's almost symbolic more than actual, uh, actual because the PPS rate is what really guides or drives what we get as an FQ. It just really so was because it was all of our primary care rate. sites are FQs. Yeah. That's correct. Okay, so we yes. used to have one. I thought that wasn't, or no, no we were uh, we we uh, phased all four of them coming on, so yeah. it may have been that we were one, one more left out. One yeah, point. you may be yeah. thinking about Alameda one primary care. Oh, the, the, oh, sorry, yes, oh. that was that. Thank you. Right. Yes, <clears throat> that's right, because okay. it wasn't an FQ. That's right, and we closed. closed it. Yes. Okay, so really the re so the really the relevance around going into capitation with Alameda Alliance has more to do with how we are looking at sort of all the all the things that we're supposed to do for our population rather yes. than having a real fiscal impact because at the end of the day it's basically completely unchanged correct it's, it's still the PPS rate it was really the dri the driver was the waiver uh, that required that on an individual basis for a public hospital uh, uh, a certain percentage of your reimbursement with a managed care plan you had to have at least one and a certain percentage of your uh, uh, revenue had to be in some type of alternate payment methodology right. and then That's as right. an aggregate for all of the state over 50 I think the number went up to 60 or higher had to be under some capitated arrangement and that's really driven by LA and San Francisco and Santa Clara which are all capitated right. they're fully capped thank you yeah. thanks so that's so essentially that's the importance of why we track volume as well yeah, as our, our revenue so a uh, couple things that I want to highlight here, and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over. But uh, I also want to make it, make a distinction here. We have it on the report, but when you're looking at the second line, which is the primary care volume visits, uh, it's 7,209. And then the, the fourth line, which is the women's visits at 5,116, that is a subset of the 7,209. Mm -hmm. okay, so okay. hence the reason when we start talking about the delta, when you're looking at that line in the previous graph here of the primary care visits, which is this, this section here, that's why we're saying that we feel very, you know, we, there's a degree of confidence that we're going to be able to close that gap as we're moving forward. Again, thanks to Dr. Bavaria and all the clinic visits that she herself is doing to make sure. No. <laughs> Never canceled clinic. So, so again, uh, and then I also wanted to highlight here, and I'll, I'll, I'll reference this again in, in, uh, when we get to those slides at the, uh, towards the end here, but um, if you recall, one of our initiatives was also looking at our intensive outpatient program for Highland. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, we were looking at consolidating our programs out at Fairmont. Right, right. Uh, we decided not to do that, but then we did commit to saying, well, but we're going to right-size the operation yeah. to ensure that it is, you know, our staffing and our resources are consistent with the volume and the, and the services that we're providing. I'm very pleased to say that we've already reached that target, and I'll share with you in some of the data how we're doing and how we're performing there. So, very pleased to see That's that. Great. And then also very pleased to see that this is also completed, which is the uh, additional funding received from the county in support of Behavioral Healthcare Services 23 minutes. Right. <laughs> okay. okay, so so with that, um, uh, be, actually before I, I turn it over to, uh, to Dr. Barbaria here, we, we there's a couple of things that I wanted to highlight and share with you all, and that, that the intent of this slide was to give you a sense of some of the work that's still ongoing. Uh, some of the 
expected uh, pains uh, of, of transitioning in, you know, a major transition into a new electronic health record is the fact that we're having to ensure that our mapping, our data, our data integrity, all of that is coming together. And so one of the things that this is just uh, not—it's not all inclusive, but it's just to give you a sense of some of the changes. In, in some cases, our methodology changed from what we had budgeted because of the way we were managing and tracking data in the pre-epic days to how it's being managed now in the post-epic days. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in one of these areas, our OR minutes in our systems in the past, we used to—it used to bill on 15-minute increments, and in fact, at Alameda, it was 30-minute increments. Well, now with Epic, it's per minute. So when you're looking at our, when we look at our statistics, when we used to show that our minutes, operating minutes in the OR were 300 and now they're 100, it's not that we've reduced or, 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 or had an impact on productivity or that we're, it, it's that now we're, I, I think it's more accurately reflecting what the, what the work that's being done and the acuity of the services that are being provided. And so we track both. We track not only number of surgeries, but we also track the minutes in the uh, you know for for the procedures within the surgical suite because it, the the relevance and the importance there is that you know a, a relatively simple procedure uh, counts as uh, you know as a surgery but it only takes 30 minutes versus you could be doing a four-hour procedure in the surgical room that's just one procedure but it took four hours and the resources and the amount of time and and energy that it takes to to make that happen so we track both of those but that's why that's all important there uh, another one that I like to highlight is is uh, you know in Richard's area uh, the the sniff encounter which is line number three one of the things that happened there within the system is the fact that um, in, in the post-acute, you have uh, a, a requirement of when a patient needs to go to a higher level of care into the acute care setting, that bed goes on hold. You bed have holds. to hold that bed for a period of time, so right. it's called a bed hold. Mm -hmm. And so the patient the, from the skilled nursing facility goes to the acute care, that bed is on hold, we're continuing to get reimbursed for that bed, and the patient, when is ready to come back, they come back to that bed, and then we continue on. Within our system, what's, what was happening, and the team is working through that, and we're about 90% there to get this all real, uh, realized, what happened was it was creating another encounter. So when the patient left and the patient came back, it was another encounter. Hmm. And so again, it, it impacted the data. So just to give you a sense that there, there's a lot of things that we're dealing with. And then lastly, that, that uh, Dr. Barbario will go into more detail, but in clinic visits, in our pre-EPIC system, uh, or days, we used to count visits based on registrations. Now it's being counted uh, in a different way based on what we call, you know, what's called the CSN or the contact serial number. And we're working mm -hmm. towards getting more towards uh, based on a CPT code. So again, just changes in methodology, not that anything is, it's just different from what we're dealing with and how the system was built. But again, built in, the, in, in an effort to get us closer to best practice and, and uh, where we should be uh, as a system. So. With that, um, I will apologize up front. Somehow my slides got kind of mixed up. I usually, I usually discuss volume and then get into financials. In a couple of these, it got reversed, so I'll probably be floating back and forth, but I just uh, uh, ask for your indulgence and we'll move through this quickly. Uh, really not much to share in, in, in population health. What I will say is that uh, we have for, for many months, uh, actually for the last year, I've been communicating the challenges that we've had in recruiting 
some of the management positions for this division. I'm very pleased to say that we've hired and we've made some great progress and we've extended offers and we've had people that started in December and here in January. So we're so the impact here is when you see one of the largest variances is on our registry and our registry costs will then, you know, the, although they're, off, they're largely offset by the salaries because we've had those vacancies, uh, we, we will hopefully start seeing that trend and that shift and we'll have better resources that are coming in, which are in-house resources. And then the other big variance comes with the outside medical services and general administrative, which is those services that we cannot provide here at AHS that we send out and we contract out with other providers in the community. And again, that varies month to month, but those are the two largest variances that we've seen. And some of that is impacted by carryover of invoices that have come in from prior year that we're realizing this year just because of the timing of when these entities send us their bills. Okay, uh, in ambulatory, and this is where I'll turn it over to Dr. Barbaria, this is where you can see that uh, in this bottom line here, the 7,209 variance year to date, that ties back to the initial first slide that I showed you, so again, how everything comes together. Mm -hmm. But she can speak to you about the work that we're doing in a lot of our, uh, in all of our clinics and, and, and the efforts that we have not only with primary care, but also with women's services. Although again, we know we have some challenges, there's a tremendous amount of work going uh, or currently underway to help us continue to make improvements to close that gap. Fine. Um, so maybe if it's helpful, I can just start at the top and tell you a little bit about what's happening in each clinic and then answer any questions that sound okay. Um, so we can start with primary care. Obviously, that is where we had budgeted sort of our most aggressive increases. I think globally, this doesn't break it down by service line, but our adult medicine providers and pediatricians have been really driving a lot of improvements since the start of the fiscal year. We increased the scheduling templates um, for all of our, for our Highland Clinic back in August and then for our three freestanding clinics for adult medicine in November so they're scheduling more patients every day we have very robust demand for adult services across the system and so adult at most sites is on target I will call out Eastmont a big portion of their variance is provider vacancies so you know with our epic go live Understandably, um, you know, many systems will lose providers before an EHR go live, especially those, you know, who, even though they've been working on next gen, just don't want to go through the training and the transition if they're close to retirement. Um, so we had a few who left right before go live, and then we actually had a few who left after go live. We're just, you know, go lives are painful, and if you are three months from retirement, I fully understand why you may want to speed it up and not stick around for three more months. Um, but some of them were unexpected. So we are actively recruiting to fill two vacancies at East Mount Wellness. We're also recruiting because the ones that had been expected, we had found interim coverage, but the unexpected ones, um, we're also recruiting interim coverage because it can take months, as you know, to find qualified primary care providers and onboard them and credential them. Um, so that Part of that variance at Eastmont, we may not recover from. That being said, some of our other sites, as you'll see, you know, especially in the November financials, are outperforming. And so I am confident that for adult medicine and pediatrics, by the end of the year, we should get to target and be able to compensate with overperformance in some sites for some of those provider vacancies that we're seeing at Eastmont, although we'll try to fill them to the best of our ability throughout the rest of this year. 
I think the same day clinic, um, as those of you who have heard my QPSC presentations have probably heard, we are converting that to an urgent care model. Mm -hmm. And so I think it'll be great. It'll help us really decompress our emergency room and see some of the lower acuity patients who wait for hours in the ED and get them in and out through the urgent care model. It'll broaden the eligibility criteria so that we can see even non-AHS assigned members. We've already had multiple phone calls with CHCN and they're open to contracting with us. You know, again, they would rather their members are seen in our urgent care than in the emergency room for obvious reasons. So I think it's really beneficial to the system, to our finances, and the patients. We have had some delays just in getting the appropriate licensing from CDPH, so that's what the holdup is. As soon as we get the green light from the state, that conversion should be happening ideally by February 1st, but if not, hopefully by before the end of February and should be able to help them make up those volumes by the end of the year. And then, you know, the bulk of the variance for primary care is really in our women's services and mirrors some of the challenges that all of you have been hearing about for women's services. So there's a number of things happening. Prior to Epic Go Live, we did increase their templates. So they had been scheduling um, 19 patients a day, and we increased that to 21, um, so about a 10% increase pre-Epic Go Live. Their department's Epic Go Live was a little bit rockier than the others. So when you look back at the previous slides, that dip that you see in October, a lot of that was driven by our go live but as you saw the trajectory is already improving in November um, you know I think for women's services globally if there was a silver bullet fix we would have implemented it already so as we really tease apart what the problems are there are a number of challenges on every front unlike adult medicine um, we don't have as much demand for women's services and certainly you know there have been statewide trends as to why demand is decreasing for women's services as well so we have utilization issues at some of our sites where you know the capacity is there, providers are there, we just don't have the patients calling, we don't have them filling the slots. In other areas there are definitely workflow issues where patients are coming in but we just can't get them scheduled in the right place. Um, provider clinic cancellations. Um, so there's a host of issues that we've uncovered. So there's a multidisciplinary team working on this. So Kevin Smith, who's our chair of the OBGYN department, senior leaders from his department, myself and the ambulatory team, and then our STAR team um, has been really instrumental in helping us process map, figure out what's happening. So a few quick fixes that have been put in. We are overhauling all of the scheduling practices for this entire department. Um, so they used to have an eight-page standard work of this is how you schedule this type of OBGYN patient, this is how you schedule this one, don't schedule with this provider, schedule with that provider. Obviously, you know, no one can follow that. And so um, we are going to have standard templates with more visits. So they're going from 19 visits scheduled a day. Um, they already went from 19 to 21. They're now going to 23, effective January 27th. And with that will be these streamlined scheduling guidelines so that at any point of contact in the system, whether a patient walks into the wellness center saying, hey, I want a pap smear, calls our call center, um, you know, finds a provider, messages through my chart, we can get them in in a much more straightforward way than we have been so that those sites where we're not utilizing 100% of the slots, we should be able to utilize them, improve patient satisfaction of not having to navigate, you know, a lot of Byzantine practices. Um, and then we're working with the STAR team that we're going to do a full Kaizen in March to then see how that process is working and then clean up other things. In parallel, Dr. Smith has been working with our PACE marketing team to do a huge push and collaboration with Alameda Alliance for Cervical Cancer Screening Month, which is this month in January. So they're in the process of sending out mailers to, I believe, about 10,000 Alameda Alliance patients who are overdue for their cervical cancer screening. The Alliance has given us free gift cards to incentivize patients
patients to come in for their pap smear because who wants to get their pap smear? Um, and so we should be seeing a true true story. My my patients they're always like next visit, and you know I've learned to talk them into this visit. So they don't come back to the next visit. Um, I did too this week actually. Um, so we really hope to see the fruits of that labor to really again you know get the patients the care they need, help meet the care gaps that our health plans really care about, and you know are rewarding us especially in our capitated patients, and then drive volume in the wellness centers. So January is going to be a big month for us. You know, will it be enough to really compensate for the significant deficit that we have racked up? I'm not sure. So when you say women's services clinic, this is a, a, a place, right? So this is not sort of like, because obviously you're doing women's health in primary care as well, but you're, but you're distinguishing it. Um, when I mean women's clinic, I mean the portion of services that are women's services okay. at all four of our oh, wellness centers, oh, so okay. it's integrated it's into primary it's care. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so it's someone... a combination of GYN, you know, pap smears, et cetera, preventive care, as well as obstetrics care provided by our midwives and our OBGYNs, um, as well as more specialty GYN services provided. At all four sites, Colpas, could be an address. So exactly. when, so it has to be the primary visit reason for the visit. Because to your point, they could be coming in for their diabetes, and you convince them to get their women's health service that day. Is that? It's based off the registration. So if they're seen in adult medicine, like if I see them in adult medicine do a pap smear, those show up as adult medicine. So we're only talking about the ones that are registered for in the women's portion of the clinic, um, which is our. OBGYN providers, the nurse midwives, and then some of them have NPs or PAs that are in their department. So even for all, the way all of our primary care clinics for the most part are structured is they have an adult section, a pediatric section, and a women's section. And so sometimes the adult providers may be doing GYN care, but right. that doesn't show up here as women's. That shows up as adult. Thank you. I guess I'm like, and I just admit that I'm completely out of I don't have a context for this, so I'm trying to understand. Um, I mean, there's a lot of need for women's services. I don't get what, uh, why is our system having trouble finding folks who need these visits? And that's part of why I was asking that question, because if people well, are... Good to hear that I'm not totally Yeah, no, out. I mean, because if, if adult medicine providers are providing primary care and the, and the patient feels like, I want to get everything with my primary care doctor, which is like a family medicine kind yeah. of approach, then that's a good thing. That, but so right. that's trying to tease out whether this is, are we under, is it underutilization or is it really maybe we don't need as much specialty clinic time because we're accomplishing what we want to accomplish in primary in care. In a different way, right? Yeah. Right. I think it's, it's clearly both. So, you know, certainly there are patients who need women's services who just aren't coming in. You know, like we, there are thousands of patients who are due for pap smears who just aren't coming in. And it's not that they're not coming in anywhere. You know, they're not, it's not that they're going elsewhere. They just aren't getting their pap smears. So I think some of this effort is when we take a population health approach, which our system is still learning about, you know, mm -hmm. even five years ago, you don't come in, you don't come in. You're, you know, we're not thinking about you. We're not doing any proactive outreach. And especially now with the shift to capitation and the tools that we have through Healthy Planet, which is our population health portion of Epic, we can now send text messages, mailers, reminders. You know, we're really starting to develop those gaps in care approaches that even if you never call us, you don't come see us, you're still our responsibility. And we want to make sure you're getting your cancer screening or diabetes checks, everything else taken care of. So some of this is that the patients are just not engaged in care and how can we pull them in? But then in some areas, yes, it is, you know, the, as we drill down into the data, um, it's clear that some of our clinics may be overstaffed and do we need to use those providers in a different way if their services aren't 
needed as much in those clinics. And I think as we do this mailer to the 10,000 pap smear patients, we'll start to see with a proactive approach what areas, you know, does the demand come in and what areas remain overstaffed. And I think, you know, certainly everyone intends with the next budget cycle to right size where we need to. Okay. Yeah, that's where I, my head is going because uh, we're going to be back in a difficult discussion again about resources on the revenue side to pay for lost leaders and yeah so it sounds like you're in the middle of a I guess the question that comes to mind is when we get to preparation of the budget March April are we going to have enough information to know um, what the strategies ought to be and what the assumptions ought to be I think we'll have enough to know the direction you know, and we'll be able to stratify all of this data by site. We already have a sense of it, but I think this big push and the data of the next three months will get us much closer to making informed decisions for the budget. Since, since the women's services <clears throat> is behind as primary is, and it's all embedded in the primary clinics, you know, we have a geographic breakdown of the clinics. Um, does the does the do, do the discrepancies in, in women's services break down geographically in a similar pattern? Tell me what you mean by that. So it, it, it seems, and it actually seems for a while, that, that Eastmont has been one of the most challenged clinics in, he, in hitting those numbers. Is that is that consistent for women's services well at Eastmont versus, um, you know, uh, Hayward, which seems to be doing great, you know, month over month? Is that is that a, is it is, do women's services follow a similar pattern geographically? Um, when you look at absolute numbers, it may look like that. I think our Highland and Newark sites are probably the most challenged when you look at utilization and productivity. Hmm. So at Eastmont, just the individual provider level productivity is a little bit higher as it is at Hayward. I think at Hayward, our you know group visits and sort of the robust model. It's a beautiful clinic. Yeah. Patients love to come in. There's a lot of things that it has going for it. Eastmont has had a lot more challenges. I think both with just the clinic, the geography, yeah. the location, safety, um, turnovers in leadership at that clinic. We finally have a really you know great medical leadership team at Eastmont that it's onboarded in the last six months. So there's a lot of changes, new providers coming in. So I have high hopes for that clinic, but it's definitely in a transitional phase. Um, I think the Highland case clinic is probably the biggest driver just because it's the largest footprint for women's services that's mm. where all the specialty women's services colposcopy um, you know gynecologic surgery are located so just pure volume wise they drive a lot of these numbers and I think you know just to be honest we haven't done as much process improvement in that area as we have with adult impedes which we've been working on very intensely in order to prepare for capitation for three years now okay. thank you okay. Any other right. questions for Dr. Borea? No. So I will uh -huh. continue. I will continue. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I couldn't have given you Thank that you. much detail. I yeah. mean, Dr. Borea. Really she, she, she I love does, my details. Well, she does <laughs> phenomenal work, and I have to say, she's been a phenomenal partner. I mean, as we're working through all these different challenges and issues, I mean, it's been a huge lift. I mean, not just in all the acute care settings, but in the ambulatory. Not just you know for the last couple of years, uh, she's transitioned and really completely transformed the entire care delivery model in all of our clinics and that's no easy task with again dealing with culture change and things sure. of that nature so yeah. kudos to you yes absolutely you. <laughs> okay uh, I'll highlight a few more things here uh, just uh, to, to get this uh, moving on uh, one of the things I want to highlight and I want to just make a point on this is uh, earlier in one of the in, in the global picture when we're looking at 
uh, acute care and length of stay. Uh, and Kim's report, we, we reported that we've seen an improvement. Uh, and so that's wonderful. And we see that when you see the breakdown here, uh, the breakdown is largely uh, driven by Alameda and San Leandro. And so I, I share that because, I mean, overall year to date, we're performing well and we're right on target in all of our sites. But I will tell you that, uh, you know, that continues to be one of the challenges for us here, specifically at Highland. Throughput is still a focus area for us, and we're continuing to manage that. Just to give you a, set, a frame of reference, uh, each one of our med surge units is 28 beds. Okay. On Monday, we had 40 long-stay patients, right? So again, some of these long-stay patients require additional or some sort of care beyond this setting. That's almost a unit and a half of additional patients that we would be able to go ahead and process through coming in from the ED. So I just wanted to give you a frame of reference of what we're dealing with and how we're continuing to manage that. And what would that have been like last year at this time? Uh, I don't know that, uh, what right, it was. Just ballpark, I mean, is it? It was probably a lot more, is it about the same? More. Uh, I, I, well, I, I think it was pretty much about the same last year. Uh, you know, er, later in the year, in the yeah. fall, we, we, we had a very aggressive push and our CNE and, and our uh, ACMO worked very hard to, well, that's what I was to address say. that, and we, so we brought it down. Despite all that, yes. we're at a similar number. Well, we brought it down, uh, and, and uh, at one point we were down to about 20 long-stay patients in the entire house. Now we're kind of back up to 40. So again, this is some continuing work that we're doing in care management and working with our providers, working with uh, our external partners. So again, it, it, there's a tremendous amount of work, and, and our CNE and, and our ACMO, Dr. Uh, Tornabene, is is really leading that effort and and we're going to continue to see some improvements and that is uh, a key focus um again looking at uh, as i had mentioned in our, our ed visits uh, i know that we have been showing or we have been seeing uh declining trends you know for the last year if you recall mm -hmm. well I'm, i wanted to just highlight here that highland uh this year is not only above budget above target but above prior year so we are seeing more patients coming here to Highland. So again, when we start talking about the number of patients that continue to come to Highland, mm -hmm. we're seeing that number go up and then we're having the, the, the challenges and the bottlenecks on the back end, trying to get patients right. discharged and transitioned to the appropriate mm -hmm. level of care. That then becomes a recipe for you know very, a very challenging situation. And the urgent, urgent care clinic, when that opens, that's gonna That help. will help, yeah. that will help significantly. So we're, we're hoping to be able to to, you know, some of the patients will, will seek that as an alternative that will then be able to, you know, so all these, as we call them, are ESI, you know, acute level fours and fives, which are your, you know, sore throats and, you know, these simpler, simpler cases. They can just bypass the ED, go straight to the urgent care, and we would hopefully help decompress and care for those patients that truly need to be in the ED. Um, looking at the financials and our performance, one of the things that I will highlight here, as well as in, in ambulatory and actually throughout our facility, remember October, November, uh, we're still seeing impacts of the elbow support, the training, and all those extra expenses as it relates to the go live and some of the work that we were doing. And largely it's just, again, some of the training and all the additional staffing that was needed as we were kind of working through all, all of those issues in the transition. But regardless, we're continuing to manage that very closely. That's the largest component. Uh, when you're looking at year-to-date, uh, we're, we're below uh, budget on salaries, but we're way up on registry. Again, a lot of that registry was driven off of the additional staffing we brought in to backfill for the training. And then we also have included in that, you'll, you'll recall the labor action we had at our San Leandro and Alameda that required additional registry to be brought in. So again, that, that's what we're seeing there. But we're, again, we're managing it. 
um, and, and we're reviewing these on our on our budget variance on a very 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 closely. Uh, behavioral health. Uh, looking at the volumes, uh, we're seeing our patient days as uh, one thing I'll highlight here is year to date and month to date. We're at 101% uh, occupancy. So it, it's, it, it continues to be very, very busy and very, very challenging out at John George. Um, I, I, I've been spending a lot of time out there uh, and, and it's been wonderful. Uh, you know, we have great staff. We've been doing a tremendous amount of work. Uh, at the QPSC, I plan to provide a quarterly report for the for the SBU, and at that time, I'll provide an update uh, to uh, the presentation that I had given to the full board. If you recall, that that was a you know we were dealing with some very challenging issues. Um, I'm very that was pleased. That's a very good report, by the way. Thank, Thank you, and and I'm very pleased to say that we've made some significant improvements since then, and I'm looking forward to providing that update at that time. Right. Do you have a sense of are the administrative days still pretty high? Yes, they are. So administrative days continue to be a, a focus area. In fact, that's one of the key topics that we're looking at and discussing in our behavioral health contracting negotiations. And, and the county equally uh, has a tremendous amount of interest to see in how we can look at implementing process improvement initiatives or what we can do in the way of process improvement to try and reduce mm -hmm. those administrative days. Mm -hmm. And how can we look at reallocating dollars in the appropriate way to support that need. Uh, one thing I will say is that uh, in our one of our in our first meeting with uh, behavioral health, uh, uh, and, and, and HICSA, uh, they did mention that uh, they are working, uh, uh, in fact, Karen Tribble, uh, it, they're working with Villa Fairmont to see how they can go ahead and look at providing additional beds that to, to be designated and dedicated for uh, John George for Alameda Health System. So that that would be of some help, uh, mm -hmm. but, but again, uh, we're, we're, yeah. it's, a, it's a work yeah. in progress and we're continuing yeah. to manage that. We are tracking and we're, we're, well, I am reviewing uh, utilization management reports on, on, a, on a daily basis to see what we're doing as far as managing our patients. Uh, I'm evaluating our, our structure of how we're providing support, not only from a provider perspective, physician, psychiatry, but also from a social work perspective. A lot of the work that we are doing is, is really dealing with the social economic issues and, 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 and that aspect of our patients. And so mm -hmm. we're wanting to see how we can shore that up. So that's, that's, again, a lot of work happening in that area. What I want to highlight here, which is the big outlier, as you'll see the emergency visits, is down by 23% for the month, 17% for the year. Uh, combination of a couple of things. For this particular month, one of the reasons why that's much lower is that's a data issue as far as a, a, a charge capture. So now our visits are based on, on charges, and so there was a delay in entering all this information. Oh. Now I will not to get into all the details, but you know the the PES and and John George, very complex. There's dual entry for every single patient that comes in. We enter, we register the patients in Epic, and then we also register them in Insist, which is the county system. Right. Yeah. And so there's this dual entry, and it's just very com you know very complex, and it just requires a lot of work. And so we've had some delays. But we're working through that, and in fact, we have a meeting on, on the 27th of this month where we're going to be looking at process mapping the entire workflow related mm -hmm. to how we at John George and how the county and how we can work together and see what we can do to improve that process. Mm -hmm. So did I understand right that you're saying that now the visit count is based on charges? Correct. So where's the check and balance of someone came in but they didn't get billed for some reason? How? 
Well, that's every charge reconciliation. That's that's music to my ears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we want to make sure that we reconcile to make sure that there's a charge for every um, visit that comes in. There's a reconciliation. Right. That was but why. I don't want to steal your thunder, but no, I just no, couldn't resist. No. Okay. No. <laughs> so there's a way to see Correct. a visit versus a charge, but the way that you're pulling the report for this is based on charges. That's what you mean. Correct. Okay. So we yes. So the report, the, the count is based on, uh, you know, the visit count is based on the charges, right, mm -hmm. that have been documented. But behind the scenes, there's a tremendous okay. amount of work that's happening. I mean, because every patient is registered. Yeah. So when you have all these number of patients that were registered, we want to make sure that if we registered 15 patients, that we have a charge for 15 <laughs> patients. So this will get fixed. It will basically, and and hope well. We're going to hopefully close that close that gap and, and address that as we're moving forward here. But this will continue to be visits only with charges. Correct, and that's what we're doing in most of our areas. A lot, all of our statistical gathering is based on charges, and we want to make sure we, we've been. When we did it manually, you don't know if it was actually correct. It was correct. In our previous pre-epic, you know, a lot of it was done manually, and so we were, you know, having a difficult time managing that. And so now everything is based on charges, and so that really there, it does several things. It behooves, you know, and encourages the the operational leaders and the staff to ensure that they're documenting and that they're doing everything they, they're doing, because if they don't close their encounter, they don't submit all the necessary documentation, the charge doesn't drop, the charge doesn't drop, their productivity then is impacted because now their yeah, volume is yeah. low, they're overstaffed for that volume, and so that creates a major imbalance and it creates an issue. So there's there's the, there's the big check and balance of Great. how we're managing all of that. Great, yeah. thank you. Okay, and then lastly, I wanted to show you here in behavioral health, uh, and I, I can't point in this one for some reason, but uh, when you're looking at the, if you look at the line at the bottom where it says the clinic visits, Fairmont IOP and Highland IOP, mm -hmm. uh, this is where I wanted to just correlate and tie back to how we are outperforming mm -hmm. in that target that we have met uh, in, in our previous report. You can see that for the month, mm -hmm. we were at 631 from a budget of 485, and then we're at 3,000 versus 2763 for the year. So again, we not only right-sized our staffing, but they've also really done some great work to try and improve and improve the access to that clinic. So great, again, great, great exercise to make awesome. that happen. Great. And then lastly, post-acute. Uh, again, Richard runs a very tight shop. They, they are always full. Uh, what, what, what I will highlight here is looking at the year-to-date performance. They're outperforming their patient days. They're outperforming their discharges, which is then clearly reflected in the average length of stay. That is huge. Uh, you know, when we're able to move patients through our uh, skilled nursing facilities to allow for patients coming out of the acute care setting, that's that's a big deal. So again, kudos to Richard, his team. They run uh, an amazing operation, so we're very, very proud of that. And their average length of stay is down too, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, significantly. That's fantastic. Significantly as a result, yeah. and you see that as a number of yeah. discharges. Yeah. So. Uh, with that, uh, I am happy to entertain any questions that you may have. I just have one question. I think Kim mentioned earlier that with Epic, since Epic Go Live, that now providers are coding, doing their own coding. Is that a, is that like across the board? What kind of training are they getting, and are we anticipating that that will affect? Revenue at all, or did I misunderstand? I'll have I'll have our very own Dr. Jamalani <laughs> yeah, speak to that. that. <laughs> so it is uh, uh, it, it is uh, much more automated process right yeah. now in terms of uh, provider dropping the bill. However, uh, we have uh, providers where historically and classically they just dictate their operative notes, and then it goes. To HIM, and then they do the coding and billing. But uh, currently, like 
uh, all visits, like let's say I see a patient, I have to close the visit. Once I close the visit, it prompts me to, to put on my charges. So it's much more automated right now in all this. The same thing goes with the inpatient notes. Uh, so uh, the billing process is, is, is automated. Now, as in terms of revenue optimization or, uh, or learning how to, how to do the, the, the billing, a lot of what we do in the inpatient side is bundled, especially when it is medical. However, we are doing, uh, we, we started to do this before the EPIC go live, uh, about educating our physicians about uh, the best uh, documentation and the best sort of uh, uh, billing process of putting their, their, their specific codes. We put it on hold until we go live and then we are going to restart it right now. But currently, every physician leader can run a report about the, the visits, the billing, and uh, now we have RVU data from before go live, but we are working on getting RVU data after the go live. Thank you. The reason why I ask is I just, this study from a long time ago stuck with me that physicians in the safety net tend to just undercode kind of habitually, mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. I don't know, you know. So, so the reason is uh, in all safety net throughout the United States, we were always bailed out by the dish money. Right. And uh, when, when, you, when, you, when you build, it's not only you need skills, knowledge, and an infrastructure, but also you take risk. Because if you have uh, integrity in the data, you take risk and you can get penalized for it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why the safety net never like invested in this. But now we have to do it. We have to do it not only also to capture our billing, but also to capture our value-based purchasing, because many of it is driven by, by CPT codes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So do you, do you see in the crosswalk between INSYST and um, EPIC being able to get to a single entry system or well that 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 would be ideal uh, uh -huh. that, that that i think uh -huh. would be the ultimate goal uh -huh. if we were able to do something like that but we'll see i i think I, I you know i think this meeting is is going to be extremely valuable for all of us to to have a clear understanding i mean i'm sure that there over the years there's been a tremendous amount of turnover and just you know different people and, mm -hmm. and i i know for a fact that that uh, as a result of that discussion we'll be able to garner some efficiencies and see how we can improve the process and and uh, even if we can't get into a single platform, which I think would be the ideal future state, I think we'll be able to do some things to ensure that there's better communication and, and there's better processes in place that will allow us to uh, capture all the encounters, uh, manage all of the, you know, the, the, the data and, 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 and the potential denials, and, and hopefully get to a point where we can have those conversations before they even become a denial and we can capture you know, as much revenue mm -hmm. as possible. So I, my understanding was that behavioral health was in a process now to look at a new system for themselves. Okay, so just yeah. this is a combination, obviously, yeah, it's a, a kind of what what works well for us, but also obviously we're only one vendor uh, for them in terms of a provider, and uh, they have to look at the interaction between them and the providers, but also them and the state. So mm -hmm. they have to, you know, uh, kind of figure out from a systemic perspective what works well for them from that vantage point. Uh, we are advocating for what 
helps us, uh, they do have access. It's, it's kind of weird because they're living in both worlds with us too. Like mm-hmm. they use our system, they use Sorium before and they use Epic now to do their UN. So they actually go into the system, uh, adjudicate whether or not a visit is uh, or a day uh, is uh, approved or not. But then we have to, at the end of the day, still put data there for them because they're using it to track what they're going to build to the state. And then we take all of our information aggregated into an Excel spreadsheet and build them on it, which then they compare to it. So it's not even just those two systems, that plus another Excel thing. Mm -hmm. We're trying to at least get some uh, synergy around from the billing side. Can we treat them as a plan, just like we do all other plans, and just Mm -hmm. build out of Epic? It may not stop then, whether it's Insys or some other system, what they need to do from their sort of Mm -hmm. management uh, piece of it, uh, but maybe with a new tool, uh, it may present an opportunity for us to do better interfacing, which yeah. would um, uh, um, obviate the need for double entry or at least reduce it, uh, as well as this other piece of it. So, okay. so there is that piece, and you know, it's not completely just about what happens at John George, but also what they need for other. Right. Yeah, as, as Del Vaca mentioned, I mean, there, there is. I mean, there's obviously mutual interest. I mean, you know, there, there's. We need to do this, and I'm glad, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, you know, to his point, I mean, there is a concurrent review that's happening every single day with our UM our utilization managers and the county's utilization managers. So they're reviewing 69 charts every single day, every morning, and they're going through that and they're having this back and forth dialogue. I mean, at the end of the day, it would really be very beneficial to somehow have a platform that would, you know, streamline that process and make it easier for everyone. Or at least interface, at least building it. Or some interface, something. Something to where it would allow us to be able to move that along. There's a lot of room here for collaboration. I mean, the other one is... uh, and it's an opportunity, I think. Uh, the state of California has finally figured out that we have a homeless issue. <laughs> significant in the state of California. And, and actually, like there's real dollars being dedicated to um, mm-hmm. address this. Medi-Cal uh, dollars. Just heard today. Uh, yeah. yeah, that were released today. And the news was released today. So I think that's an area where the county and the system can uh, collaborate more closely to, uh, from our side of it is this throughput issue. Mm-hmm. Um, quality of life, obviously, is, is a quite significant part of this as well. But I'm going to move us on to our last item, uh, which is uh, action item related to two contracts. I move approval. Unless you mm-hmm. <laughs> I will leave. I was just going to tee it up by saying that, uh, again, this is our biomedical services that mm-hmm. we you know provide for all of our medical equipment management plan for the entire system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baljeet, obviously, and his team and a multidisciplinary team has very detailed on the report. The reports uh, are very this. clear. Though. Yeah, great. Um, so that's, that's why I moved second? approval. Second. Any discussion? Mm-hmm. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the report. That made it easy. Yeah. <laughs> Any other? Uh, nope. So we probably should. Your chair should be more uh, assertive about this next time. I'm sorry, did you just approve both of the contracts? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Both contracts. Yes. yes. Okay. Did you get that? Mom? I did now. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> that was your motion. Right? That was. That's correct. Uh, so I just want to encourage committee members to think about issues to add to the issue tracking list. We won't have the discussion tonight. We're over. I've given up. <laughs> any other comments? Not hearing any, I'm going to close the meeting. Great. Thank you. Thank you.